in Chicago, two comedian skeptics named Andy and Art were mysteriously abducted by the illusionary mastermind and conspiracy theorist known only as Mr. Mr. Bunker. Bunker. The following serves as a record of Bunker's attempt to convince non-believers of the truth about conspiracies and paranormal activity. Andy and Art give an uninterrupted presentation and verdict on the plausibility of these offbeat topics, delivering what they call the, the whole enchilada. Will Mr. Bunker convince these two skeptics any of this is real? Will it convince you? Welcome to Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, Art Stone. And with me, as always, is your co-host, Andy Hart. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another thrilling episode of Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. We're here to weaponize your curiosity. (laughs) You see, see Bunk Funkers, our... Curiosity has been weaponized, and we're going to use it to assault you. (laughs) Our curiosity is like a friggin' fully loaded AK-47 with 7.62 millimeter ammo, and we're pointing it right at you, and we're going blah, 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 blah. Hollow point shells. Get ready for your minds to explode. (laughs) Uh, Listeners, if you don't know right off the bat what we're talking about from the words weaponize your curiosity, well... Prepare to get your curiosity weaponized because we're talking today <laughs> about, uh, I don't know, I think a hot, I don't know if it's a hot button topic, but he's uh, he's he's very well known. He's a well known topic in the UFO community. It's Bob Lazar. Bob Lazar, a controversial figure That's, in yeah. the mainstream science community and even within the UFO community. Yeah. Bob claims um, to have worked at a, I guess you could say like a sister facility or a a similar facility to Area 51. Most people, you know, they say Area 51, but he really worked at a place called S4. We'll get into it. Um, Mm -hmm, Yeah. But, you know, he essentially claims that he helped the U.S. government to reverse engineer alien spacecraft of which they own nine vehicles um you know a paltry number this isn't like you know jay leno isn't turning his head at the number of uh alien vehicles we own. <laughs> but i can't wait for that uh that spinoff on cnbc <laughs> jay leno's extraterrestrial garage <laughs> comedians in extraterrestrial spacecraft flying <laughs> to uh zeta reticuli uh, <laughs> but we unfortunately we don't have any episodes of that show but if you want to get straight to the research on our show you can do so by looking in the show notes where you will find a timestamp, and you can skip right ahead to all that good bob lazar uh we're going to talk about his appearance in the jeremy corbell film that's on netflix we're going to talk about his we're going to talk about his appearance in general (laughs) yes just how he looks general how he looks how he styles his hair those big coke bottle glasses and his appearance on Joe Rogan and all the other things, him and George Knapp, all the other 
things that he's talked about. Look in the show notes for that timestamp. Um, but first, Andy and I need to check in with one another. We need to see how things are going this week. Um, in quarantine, we're still in quarantine. We're coming at you live uh, from our houses, from quarantine. Mm-hmm. We are not yep. in the bunker. We haven't in no. well over a month, Andy. It's been odd, right? State law, we can't go to the bunker. Yeah. And yeah, uh, we're stuck. We're stuck inside. Yeah. Uh, part of that reason is also because Mr. Bunker has been using the worldwide coronavirus pandemic to do some traveling. Yeah. Uh We'd like to tell you, listeners, that Mr. Bunker's out there settling old scores and getting even with people while they're locked at home. But <laughs> he's just having a—he's having a world tour. He's partying. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. this week, honestly, I mean, is no different. Each week, uh, we've been getting postcards from Mr. B. Another postcard from Mr. B. Uh, yeah, we didn't want it. Is what we're officially calling the segment. By the way, that's right. Uh, it's the bare naked uh, truth of this segment is that right. we're calling it uh, another postcard from Mr. B. Uh, Paul Schaefer is going to be working on a jingle for it and <laughs> we'll play it during every episode. That's right. Uh, hey, listeners, you know, you might not think much of our little show here, but we got Paul Schaefer on retainer. Paul Schaefer, okay. <laughs> on retainer. <laughs> yeah. 8,000% of the show's budget goes to Paul, Paul Schaefer's I mean, retainer. it's worth it. <laughs> So far, no one has noticed, but it's worth it. It's worth it. It's definitely worth it. Um, uh, but no, every week we've been getting these postcards from Mr. Bunker. Uh, yeah. And each week he's giving us a topic to dive into while we're in quarantine. Mm-hmm. But he's also sharing um, a little bit of his life with us. To be honest, he's uh, he's sending us postcards from where he is. I mean, he's been to... Uh, uh, you know, he already got infected with the virus because he went to Wuhan. That was his first stop. Right. Uh, he got it out of the way early so he could just have fun. Um, he's been to uh, Italy. He's mm-hmm. been to Orlando. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all I remember. Um, he went to the ISS, that's... the International Space oh. Station. <laughs> oh, that's right. He was in the space station uh, last week. Um <laughs> And this week is no is no different. Uh, he's in another travel. Uh, he's back on Earth, though. Um, I got a postcard from him earlier this week. Oh, um, yeah. And on the uh, on the front, um, it's 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 him, and I can tell that he's outside of the world famous Bunny Ranch. The, ah. The famed uh, for, br- brothel of cat house fame. For our um, international listeners and uh, for our, well, for you listeners who are, uh, you know, you like to stay up late and masturbate to softcore porn, uh, <laughs> you know what we're talking about. Uh, but for it. our international listeners in the state of Nevada, I believe, uh, prostitution is legal if it's within a like registered brothel am i correct in saying that andy even though it's illegal everywhere else yeah it's <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's possible to run a legal brothel in the state of nevada so you can legally go to one of these uh, like the famed bunny ranch hire a prostitute to have sex with you in a private yeah. room and i think it was was it hbo i'm pretty sure it was hbo hbo um uh, used to have a series, uh, a reality series all about the Bunny Ranch uh, called Cat House. 
That's right. Um, which chronicled the very. Uh, uh, I mean, I mean, prostitutes, not, the yeah. owners. Not aptly named. Yeah. I mean, it's a bunny ranch, and they're calling it the cat. I mean, I just think that there was some miscommunication there about what kind of animal. A lot of, lot of mixed signals um, from the name of the show and the name of the establishment. Yeah. Um, but they would interview the patrons. They would film the patrons fucking. Um, right. they, they would. would. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they would. And they would film the workers there and the owners and just the day-to-day life of working at a fucking brothel. Yeah, you get to see some pretty interesting stuff about like things that people request from a prostitute. Yeah. I bet you have to pay good money to go to the bunny ranch. I don't know. Oh, what the are, but... yeah. I mean, I don't know the rates exactly. Why would I? Uh, but uh... <laughs> I don't know the current rates, but as yeah. of six months ago, they were. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> I just read it somewhere on the But uh, yeah, Mr. B, he, uh, the titular Mr. Bunker, he, uh, he went there. Yeah, the uh, yeah he's apparently been spending time at the bunny ranch, um, and I mean I'm tempted to just say that he's paying for sex, but I don't know that for for a fact. I mean, um, in the picture it's him outside of the bunny ranch, the world famous bunny ranch, uh, and he's there with with the owner. Well, I guess I should say former owner of the bunny ranch, Dennis Hoff. I don't know um, if you can say that legally speaking, but um, yeah. physically speaking, yeah, Dennis Hoff is yeah. Uh, dead. Yeah, Dennis Hoff, Dennis Hoff famously died recently, and uh, apparently um, his body was either never buried or Mr. Bunker had it exhumed, and it appears that he's doing some sort of weekend at Bernie's escapade at the Bunny <laughs> Ranch with Dennis Hoff's corpse. Oh, God. Um now in the picture, Dennis Hoff's corpse is dressed in a suit, and he appears to be presenting Mr. Bunker with some sort of a plaque. And wow. on the postcard, Mr. Bunker wrote that he got a he was that Dennis Hoff, uh, the state uh, legislator uh, for that district where the Bunny Ranch is, was giving him a commendation from the state of Nevada. So. You know, Dennis Hoff, of course, was running for a state legislature when he died, and he won the election. So, even though he was dead, to, yeah, even though he was dead, he won the election. He died before people voted, too. By the way, it's not like he won the election and then he died and never got to, you know, take office. He died before the election and still won. Um, and it appears that, if I can believe Mr. Bunker's postcard. He actually is serving out his term in the state legislature <laughs> and doing a pretty good job. Yeah. He got a commendation for Mr. Bunker. He's never missed a hearing or a vote. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He, at every committee meeting, he's on a lot of committees too. <laughs> they say this dude responds to emails so fucking fast. <laughs> he's, he's on top of it. One of the most productive members of the Nevada state legislature. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, he's the only one getting stuff done in that state. Um, <laughs> and now Mr. Bunker is has a key to the city. Great. That's just what we need is Bunker having more power. Because once we all get, you know, once we're all done with this quarantine stuff, I just feel like he's going to come in with some 
even newer and more wacky scenarios to abduct us in. I feel like it's going to be bad because he's he's got all this pent up uh, ideas yeah. for us. Um, you know, and it's kind of scary too to think about Mister Bunker uh, getting so close to a government official, even though he's dead. Um, yeah, I mean, well, it makes sense because I think the only government official he would ever trust is a literal dead body. Yeah, Mr. Bunker has often told us the only good person working for the government is a dead one. <laughs> and then he usually cocks a gun and then runs off into the dark. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. It's almost it's almost more impressive than a smoke bomb. He somehow yeah. finds a way to run off into a dark corner that we didn't even see before. Yeah, there's uh, so many hallways in the bunker. Uh, he disappears down them all the time. Yeah. Hallways I didn't even know existed. Yeah, and they're too spooky to go down. No, I'm not going down there. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what's in there. But you know what, Andy? One road we do need to go down is we need to check in with you on your week in quarantine. Wow, um, my week in quarantine. Now, Andy, let me uh, let me just, you know, here's... so. You, uh, you have been, uh, so Andy, this week you, you've been kind of, uh, you've been trying to do some healthy living. Is that right? No. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, and, uh, uh, I've been uh, taking strides to improve my health. That's right. And it's true that you are trying the, uh, the keto diet, but you actually got confused and you did the Akito diet. Uh, is that true? Yes, that's true. That's true. I got confused. You were doing the, a the ancient Akito uh, diet. ceremonial form of defensive Japanese martial art instead of a diet where you reduce your carb intake and yeah, turn your yeah. body into a state of keto- I, ketosis. Yeah. I, I guess what you could say, Art, is that I stopped eating <laughs> and I weaponized my body. <laughs> it's true that you actually did a hip toss to a loaf of bread. That's true. Uh and oh, you know, I guess in a way that's that's low carb. That's keto. <laughs> that is a you did a low hip toss to uh to some uh carbs and you definitely got rid of that's, Andy, I got to say the most keto thing you can do is beat up a loaf of bread. I got to say Andy, uh this is I mean, this is quite a blunder, but it's not as big as the time you confused yoga with yogurt. <laughs> yeah, that that one was really bad cuz uh I was doing hot yogurt in my living room for a month, <laughs> and it smelled awful. You really got at it with Jamie Lee Curtis. Yeah. Because yeah, you were doing yeah. so much Activia. I only did Activia, and I didn't stop shitting for a year after that. There was I mean, also you know, that time that I tried to do more Pilates, but I got confused and just did pirates, uh, and I ended up in Somalia. Uh, that one was bad. Yeah, I was covered wow. in yogurt. <laughs> I was trying to do. I tried to do Pilates yoga fusion. They were marinating. I ended up doing yogurt. Yeah, they were. They threw in lots of lots of mint and garlic. Uh, I smelled very fragrant. Yeah. Also, I still had the diarrhea from the Activia. (laughs) Oh, God. Wow. Well, Andy, uh, 
I'm glad that you're having, uh, you're doing some, I think a lot of people are doing healthy living, trying to take a positive advantage of this uh, situation we're in. Yeah, it's a good time to do it. So if you've ever thought about doing hot yogurt, um, <laughs> send hit us up, uh, tweet at us, get into our DMs. Uh, I'd be happy to share any tips you need on hot yogurt. Um, You know what? Before we even jump in to the episode, Andy, I almost feel pretty embarrassed that we forgot to say that this episode was suggested by our very good friend. This this episode was sent in to us. This episode topic was sent in by our friend and maybe a little more. Wink wink. We can't we hey, we can't let too much out, but let's just say maybe he's a little more than just a friend. <laughs> a little more All than a friend. All will be revealed in a little bit. Uh oh, Justin oh, Link. Yeah, yeah. Justin Link are yeah. Uh, he has worked with us to put out our, uh, our, uh, what the fuck was it called? Uh, our Christmas video, <laughs> our Christmas video, which you can check yeah, out on yeah. our YouTube. But aside from that, he is a fabulous photographer and videographer and director. And, uh, he wears many different hats. He's a great guy. Yeah, he is. A hat He's collector. got a large hat collection. Uh, um, he sent in this episode topic. He wanted us to cover Bob Lazar. Um, and uh, I'm very sorry, Justin, that we forgot to mention it up top. We just got uh, we got ca- carried, away. carried away with uh, other stuff. I mean, fuck. We, our curiosity was so fucking weaponized. We just <laughs> yeah. couldn't <laughs> We wait. used it to freaking destroy giving you credit, Justin. Um, That's how weaponized if, our curiosity is. If you want to... Right in and have us cover. Well, first of all, Mr. Bunker has to approve. You know, Mr. Bunker makes the calls here, the titular bunker. Uh, but if you want to have us cover a topic that you are interested in, send us an email to mrbunkerpod at gmail.com or mm-hmm, tweet mm-hmm. at us at mrbunkerpod. And right. we will uh, gladly cover it. We've got a few in the chamber. You know, Mr. B is uh, working on them, he's coordinating. But, um, Thank you again to Justin for all that you do. Yes, thank you, Jay. And I think we shouldn't embarrass Jay any further, and we should just get to the research. That's what he wants, and that's what we're going to give him. Uh, If I know anything about Justin Link, it's that he's hungry for a little whole enchilada. Oh, is he? And uh, we're charging up our lasers here to cover Bob Lazar. (laughs) (laughs) Pew, pew, pew. Pew, pew, pew. We're weaponizing our curiosity. We're charging yeah. our lasers here on uh, Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. Bunk Funkers, Art, let me tell you a little bit about what's been going on in my life recently. Uh, This week, one of my toilets in my home was clogged. Yes, Bunk Funkers, I have two toilets in my home. Uh, That fact may surprise you, but the following will undoubtedly come as a shock to both you, Bunk Funkers, and to my co-host, Art. I was not the source of the clogged toilet. Oh, bullshit. I don't believe this even a little bit, Andy. Okay, hear hear me out here, Art. Uh, Some combination of my wife and child 
clogged the toilet in one of our bathrooms. Now, as an avid Bob Vila cosplayer, uh, when this happened, I threw on my flannel, strapped on my tool belt, and I got to work. I want to say this right up front. I hate using the plunger, okay? Um, If there's stuff in the bowl, you got to fish it out so it doesn't splash all over the bathroom. The water in the bowl is usually pretty nasty when there's a clog. The plunger itself is like a gross device because you just you just shove it in shit to use it. Even though it's effective, I don't like to use it. Uh, listeners, can I just jump in and say I don't condone my co-hosts, your co-hosts' uh, views on the plunger. Okay, I'm very Are you pro a plunger. Plun- pro plunger. I am pro plunger. I like plungers. They've never served me wrong. Plunger community. I- I'm sorry. Andy, go ahead. Just want to get my word out there. It's 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 effective. I just don't like to use it, Art. Okay. okay. You're entitled to your opinion. So, this this means I turn to other methods to clear my clogs. Um, my favorite method uh, is this: um, you put uh, you put a good amount, like a quarter cup, maybe even of dish soap, like uh, like a Dawn or or palm olive or whatever, in the bowl. Um, you let that sit while you go to your kitchen. Uh, you heat up uh, a gallon of water on the stove. You want to get the water hot. You don't want to get it boiling. Um, if it's boiling, you might crack the porcelain toilet, and that's a whole other set of problems, okay? So once the water's hot, you pour it into the toilet bowl, and typically, like magic, the clog just clears. Everything will just rush out of the bowl. Uh, now, I'm going to say this a lot today, uh, but I'm no scientist, so I have no idea why or how this method works, but it is a great, clean method. This time, though, there was one problem. It didn't freaking work. <gasps> I was shocked. I put some soap in the toilet, got some hot water, poured it in, and the, the clog just didn't budge. So I turned to my old friend, the Internet, for some advice. The Internet suggested that I try a classic middle school science trick, baking soda and vinegar. So I dump in a bunch of baking soda. I let it sit for a bit. Then I pour in some vinegar. By now, I'm being going to be honest, I'm getting quite an aroma off this toilet as the vinegar, the soap, and the shit swirl around in the air. But the clog, it's still there. Everything's still in the bowl. I grilled my family. What is the source of the clog? I thought maybe understanding the object clogging the pipes would give me uh, insight on how to proceed. Uh, naturally, I, I don't feel like the dish soap and hot water or vinegar and baking soda is going to work if the clog is something unnatural like a toy or the pages of my unfinished memoirs, Heart and Soul, My Journey to the Center of Me. <laughs> nobody could tell me what was clogging the pipes. Suddenly, nobody knows. I can only assume it was my wife's rank dookie blocking the way, but I'm not sure, Okay. <laughs> Frustrated and desperate, I turn one more time to my ride-or-die toilet clog clearing method, dish soap and hot water. Now, I assumed this is a clog of natural origins. That is my wife's colon. So I assumed this method has to work. This time, I used more dish soap, and I heated twice the water on the stove. After I added the last of the water to the bowl, the hot water, nothing appeared to be different. The water slowly, slowly, slowly exited the bowl, same as it had been. Then, a few minutes later, my wife goes into the bathroom, flushes the toilet, trying to check to see if the clog had cleared, 
and success. The toilet paper, the turds, the suds, the vinegar, everything right down the pipes. The toilet was clear. Now, of course, after all this, I was elated. What a relief it was to not to have to use the plunger after all. So after all that, I'm sure you're all left wondering, what the hell does this have to do with the topic today? I'll be honest, that's a valid question, but allow me to explain. You see, nobody knew exactly what was clogging my toilet, or even if the clog existed at all. We could only guess. Despite that, I was steadfast in my belief that it was some sort of organic matter that could be cleared out using the tried and true dish soap and hot water method. So in a way, I'm like a toilet Bob Lazar. I'm just a guy who never gave up belief, even though everyone else kept telling me to use the plunger. Wow. That was quite a story, and I'm not sure I totally agree with your analogy, but I am left with no choice, Andy. I have to agree with you on this. You are basically a toilet Bob Lazar. Thank you, Art. Thank you. So, bunk funkers, even though my toilet clog story pretty much told the tale of Bob Lazar in brief, uh, we know you want the whole enchilada, and not only in toilet language. Speaking of potty mouths, oh let me jump in here so we can start talking about fucking finger-banging Bob Lazar. Oh, yeah, that's, that's his right. nickname, finger-banging Bob Lazar. <laughs> Another thing he doesn't want to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> Let's start with the obvious question. Who is Bob Lazar? Bob Lazar is, uh, he's kind of the original Area 51 truther in a way, and one of the more controversial figures in the UFO community. Bob claims to have worked at a facility near Area 51 and to have worked on reverse engineering extraterrestrial technology at the facility. But starting there, bunk funkers, uh, would be doing you a disservice. That would only give you a partial enchilada, and we know your hungry little mind tummies Want the whole enchilada. So let's start at the beginning. And let's retell Bob Lazar's story. So Bob Lazar was born on January 26th, 1959 in Coral Gables, Florida. Bob grew up in New York where he graduated from uh, W. Tresper Clark High School in 1976. Bob was always a tinkerer and he was always interested in science and he even built a jet engine. That's right. To go on his bike. Uh, you know, Andy, I could barely even screw on the bike horn. My dad bought me. It's one of those, uh, it's one of those bike horns that goes, like, you know, like a, like an old timey car. You remember those, right, Andy? No, I sure do, Art. Gee, those old LaSalle's ran great. Those were the days. <laughs> they sure were. And speaking of days, in the days after graduating high school, Bob Lazar continued his education, receiving a master's degree in physics from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, or MIT. Bob put this advanced degree to use when he started working at Los Alamos National Laboratory, which was originally opened as part of the Manhattan Project and produced the nuclear weapons dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. In 1982, while he worked at Los Alamos, the Alamogordo Daily News or Alamogordo Daily News ran a cover story on Bob and his jet-powered Honda. The day after the story ran, legendary physicist and father of the H-bomb, Edward Teller, was giving a speech at Los Alamos. 
in the speech, Teller argued against the nuclear freeze movement happening at the time, which, you know, aimed to get the USA and USSR to agree to stop testing, producing, deploying nuclear weapons. Before giving the lecture, though, Lazar spotted Teller outside looking at the newspaper and introduced himself as the guy with the souped-up Civic. The two chatted uh, for a bit about frickin' sick-ass Hondas with a jet engine before Teller had to go give his uh, stupid dumb lecture or whatever. Later in 1982, Bob left Los Alamos to pursue other interests, uh, including getting a master's in electronic technology from the California Institute of Technology, or Caltech, and a move to Las Vegas until getting the itch to rejoin the scientific community later in the 80s. Bob sent resumes around to lots of different places, including several national labs. Bob even sent a resume and letter to Ed Teller, who referred him to a firm called EG&G, a defense contractor which did the hiring for certain government positions. Bob interviewed and was uh, struck by the number of questions they asked him about his life outside of work. They asked about his jet-powered vehicles, and Bob mentioned to the interviewer that he had a particle accelerator in his bedroom. What types of particles exactly he was accelerating in his bedroom, we don't know for sure. But it may have been to make some kind of hydrogen fuel for a car. Or maybe make his penis big. Regardless, it seems like the government was looking for an outside-the-box thinker. Maybe even a rogue scientist type. Uh, Bob must have fit the bill because he got the job. He was officially employed by the Navy and was slated to work at a facility called S-4, which was built into the mountainside south of Area 51 near Papoose Lake in Nevada. The first day on the job, Bob boarded a bus at EG&G and was driven to the airport where he boarded a plane for Area 51. Once at Area 51, Bob began to discover the mysterious world of paperwork. Bob did copious amounts of paperwork. Uh, There are a lot of forms to get security clearance. Uh, Bob says that his security clearance was at a level the government refers to as majestic. Uh, While Bob waited, he was given access to read a number of different briefings. The briefings divulged all sorts of information on human interaction with extraterrestrial beings. He saw detailed drawings of extraterrestrial anatomy. We're talking extreme detail here, if you get what I'm saying, bunkfunkers. Extreme (laughs) anatomical detail. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're hot. (laughs) Yeah. He also read that the extraterrestrials come from Z3, the third planet in the Zeta Reticuli system. Now, for you bunk funkers who aren't astronomy junkies like me, Zeta Reticuli is a binary star system that is two stars orbiting the same point. The system is about 39 light years from Earth. Interestingly, uh, both stars in the system are thought to be pretty similar to our sun here. So after all the paperwork was done and after Bob got done jacking off to all those alien pictures (laughs) and the majestic clearance was granted, Bob began to work at S4. Working at a place like S4, well, safe to say was not like your typical nine to five job. Bob was called in to work at the lab at odd hours and he wasn't even called in every single day. The way he described it, he might get a call at 11 p.m to come in to the lab, and he'd have to go to EG&G, board a bus, take the bus to the airport, then hop on a plane to Groom Lake, where he'd then take a bus to S4. At first, Bob assumed that the secrecy and intense security was because he was working on some kind of secret military technology. Then, one day, 
Bob entered S4 through a hangar door. There he saw a flying saucer with an American flag on the side. Bob thought he was getting the first glimpse of the craft he was working on, an advanced military fighter that was the basis for so many flying saucers in the past. Bob was paired at S4 with a lab partner named Barry, who had been working at S4 for longer than Bob. Barry revealed to Bob their uh, their real goal, to reverse engineer a working extraterrestrial antimatter reactor which was used to power the craft that Bob had seen in the hangar, which was one of nine total crafts at S4. Barry showed Bob the reactor in the lab, asking Bob to put his hands on the reactor. But Bob couldn't touch the reactor, not because he was a widow-scaredy baby, but it's because his hands were repelled by force. Look, honestly, Barry seems like a pretty cool lab partner. He fired up this reactor and dared Bob to touch it, even though Barry made it seem that his previous lab partner had died working on the reactor. That's pretty cool. Barry also uh, led Bob to believe that S4 had brought in a whole string of different people to work on the reactor before Bob. Neither Bob nor Barry truly had any idea how long the reactor had been under study, but Barry indicated that at least one of the crafts uh, at S4 was discovered as part of an archaeological dig. Another craft Bob saw in the hangar had physical damage from an apparent projectile, uh, possibly being shot down and recovered by the military. Or maybe it was shot as part of some sort of test. We don't know. Bob and Barry set out to get some answers to the function of the reactor, and they felt like they came up with uh, some pretty good ideas. Now, I'm no egghead scientist, of course, but here's what they thought. They believe the base of the reactor is a cyclotron, uh, which is a particle accelerator that operates in a constant magnetic field. Uh, The reactor was powered by element 115, a heavy element which produces its own gravitational field and was not known on Earth at the time. Now again, I'm no scientist, but as I understand it, Bob says the reactor works by smashing protons into element 115, which produces an antiproton, which is how the craft gets its power. Bob also says that the reactor suffered no heat loss. Regardless of the load placed on it, the reactor never got warmer than the ambient temperature. Now, that's an efficient engine. Since element 115 wasn't available on this planet, Bob and Barry were tasked with figuring out how the reactor worked so that they could then figure out how to make it work the same way, but fueled by something other than element 115. Bob was able to eventually view the craft in person so that he could inspect the propulsion system that was powered by the reactor. The craft, which Bob calls the, quote, sports model, was approximately 52 feet in diameter. Inside, the craft had three small seats designed for creatures maybe three feet tall. The reactor was in the middle of the craft with the seats around it. In the lower deck, uh, there were gravity amplifiers and gravity emitters. According to Bob, the reactor produces the gravity force... According to Bob, the the reactor produces the gravity force through the antimatter reaction, which is then amplified and directed to the craft's desired destination. So rather than moving through space, the craft creates a distortion in the space in front of it. It kind of just enters the distortion, bringing the target to it instead of going to the target. So 
While it was not uncommon for crafts to be taken through uh, test flights, both Bob and Barry both knew this uh, this test flight schedule, it was uncommon that Bob or Barry were allowed to witness the test flights. They were allowed to see the craft in action one night, though. Bob says the liftoff of the craft produced a corona glow and a hissing sound, but once the craft was a few feet off the ground, it hovered silently. Bob says the craft creates a heart-shaped gravitational distortion as it flies, which distorts even light around it, making the craft seem invisible if you stand beneath it. Despite this, Bob says that the personnel on the ground were able to communicate with the pilot via radio. Bob suspected that the radio waves should have also been distorted around the craft, making radio communication impossible, but he wasn't given the opportunity to study that particular aspect of the craft's operation. Uh, That's partly because Bob didn't work at S4 for very long. Uh, He only worked there for about six months in total. And, And frankly, it doesn't sound like S4 had what you'd call a good workplace culture. Uh, Bob says rhythmic shouting and threats were used as a form of hypnosis. Uh, He also says that S4 was not a productive place for scientific research. The facility operated on the buddy system, so Bob was only allowed to share information and ideas with his lab partner, Barry. The effect of this, says Bob, is that the pace of advancement grinds to a halt because different groups working on different parts of the craft can't figure out how all the different systems work together. Eventually, Bob stopped getting called to go into S4. He also noticed that people from S4 began following him. He was fearful that he was about to be fired and might not be able to get a similar job, so he did what any of us would. Rounded up a few friends, packed into a Winnebago, and drove out to the desert to watch some test flights of extraterrestrial craft. Again, Bob knew the test flight schedule and took his friends out a few times to watch the crafts in action. On the third third time uh, watching these test flights, the group was pretty raucous. It was pitch dark out while they waited, and somebody made a crack about how they should storm Area 51 and Rudo run in there and take it over or something like that. Not long after, they saw a green light drop to the ground and roll toward them. Bob and his friends switched on some lights, only to find that they were surrounded by security personnel with night vision scopes, which is the thing that fell off and rolled toward them. Bob was brought in for questioning by personnel at S4. During the questioning, Bob learned the, uh, the real reason why he hadn't been called in to work for a while. Well, he was suspected of having a unstable home life because his wife was having an affair. Strange as it may seem that this came up in this situation, Bob previously agreed to allow his home phones to be monitored by the government. Part of getting top security clearances is demonstrating your character and agreeing to be surveyed or surveilled by uh, so that the government can look out for any warning signs. In this case, Bob being cucked by his wife's flight instructor made his superiors think he might be a security risk. Apparently, Mrs. Lazar didn't know a lot about Bob's employment and thought he was having an affair. So to get back at him, she started banging her flight instructor, instructor, hence making Bob a cuck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) to really rub salt in the wound, Bob's interrogators didn't just reveal he was being cucked. They even read transcript of his wife's conversations with her, what I can only assume is hogged out flight instructor fuck buddy. (laughs) Right. You have to assume he was hogged out. I mean, he was a pilot. 
Right. At this point, Bob knew his time at S4 was over, but he wasn't sure for how much longer he would be cucked. Not knowing what, not knowing what exactly he should do, he felt compelled to tell the story of what he'd seen at the facility. He felt the information was too important uh, to humanity to continue to be a secret, and that it was a crime the government was his withholding uh, these these shocking revelations. Bob contacted the local CBS affiliate, affiliate KL, KLAS TV, and told his story to reporter George Knapp. Uh, initially, Bob gave an anonymous interview where his face was obscured and he used the pseudonym Dennis. After this interview aired, Bob said he got a call from his former su- supervisor at, S- at S4, also named Dennis, who asked Bob, quote, Do you have any idea what we're going to do to you now? And hung up the phone. After the phone call, Bob was subject uh, of what he says is harassment by the U.S. government. Bob says he was followed everywhere, he had a tire shot out, and had some of his personal civilian records erased. Bob detailed these allegations in a follow-up interview with George Knapp, which aired a few months after the first interview. In the time since then, Bob says that even his friends and family have been subject to harassment, like being audited by the IRS and having their own security clearances revoked. Despite this, Bob has tried to lead a normal life. Since 1987, Bob and his longtime friend and supporter, Gene Huff, have run Desert Blast, a festival for pyrotechnic enthusiasts. He also runs a company called United Nuclear Scientific Equipment and Supplies. Nevertheless, the government just won't leave him alone. In 2003, United Nuclear's offices were raided by police. Then in 2006, Bob was charged with violating the Federal Hazardous Substances Act for shipping restricted chemicals across state lines. United Nuclear was fined in 2007 for selling supplies to make illegal fireworks. In 2018, a documentary was released chronicling Bob's story. Uh, That documentary is on Netflix. It's called Bob Lazar, Area 51, and Flying Saucers. During the filming of the documentary, uh, this was in 2016, United Nuclear's offices were again raided by police uh, for the ostensible purpose of looking for receipts or sales records. Bob, however, believes that the government is looking for Element 115, which Bob has long believed to have stolen from S4. The 2016 raid happened the day after Bob gave a uh, supposed secret interview to the director of the documentary, Jeremy Kenyon Lockyer Corbell, possibly about Bob smuggling Element 115 out of S4. According to Bob and Jeremy, the agents raiding United Nuclear were able to quote verbatim parts of the interview. Bob suspects that much of the harassment he suffered over the years is due to the suspicion that he lifted some 115 from S4. That said, in the interest of fairness, Bob himself has never actually said that he did, in fact, steal Element 115. Ultimately, Bob says he wishes he never went public with his experiences. He says he and his loved ones have suffered too much harassment to make it worthwhile even though he does think it's important that the public know what the government is hiding at S4. And there you have it. In somewhat brief, that's that's Bob Lazar's story. <laughs> but it's not really the end of the story about Bob Lazar. Bob has been a controversial figure pretty much from the beginning and has faced a lot of criticism from believers and skeptics alike. So let's take a look at some of Bob's claims 
and then discuss some of the evidence surrounding them. Let's start, let's start by looking at Bob's background. Bob claims to hold advanced degrees from both Caltech and MIT, which are pretty prestigious institutions here in the U.S., right? And in the world. It, it stands to reason that somebody with those kind of credentials would be able to land a gig at Los Alamos National Lab and at S4. That said, lots of people have questioned Bob's educational history. Even George Knapp, the original Bob Lazar promoter, could not find records of Bob attending either Caltech or MIT. George, however, did speak to friends of Bob's who attested to dropping him off at Caltech, presumably because Bob was enrolled there. Speaking at the Ultimate UFO Seminar in Rachel, Nevada in 1993, Bob attempted to clarify his education history. Bob says that he started out at uh, Pierce Junior College in California in maybe 1976. Then in 77 or 78, took some classes at California State University, Northridge, then went to MIT earning a master's in 1982. He then got his master's from Caltech in 1985. Bob says the lack of records is part of the government's effort to erase him. One prominent person who didn't find this claim compelling is none other than Stanton T. Friedman, a nuclear physicist and eminent UFOologist, who is one of the central figures in the study of the Roswell UFO incident. Friedman says he checked with all four schools Bob claims to have attended. Only Pierce Junior College had any record of Bob Lazar's enrollment there, where he took electronics courses in the late 70s. According to Friedman, Bob was enrolled at Pierce the same time that he was supposed to be at MIT, which is a pretty daunting commute if you ask me, Andy. <laughs> That's rough. <laughs> My arms are tired. Talk about coast to coast. AM. <laughs> Friedman also checked with Bob's high school and found that Bob graduated in August 1976 rather than in June with the rest of his class. Friedman believes this is because Bob had to take summer classes to get the, uh, enough credits to graduate. According to Friedman, the only science class Bob took in high school was chemistry. When Bob did graduate, Friedman says Bob ranked 261 out of 369 students in his class. Nice. Nice. Which would not allow him to be admitted to either MIT or Caltech. Friedman also says earning a master's at MIT requires a thesis, and there's no record of a Bob Lazar thesis at MIT. In addition to all these discrepancies, whew, Bob has also <laughs> mentioned that one of his professors at Caltech was a guy named Bill Duxler. Stanton Friedman, who is the champion of uh, proving Bob Lazar wrong, looked up... <laughs> He's really on a crusade here. He is, yeah, you know, definitely. Looked up Bill Duxler, and it turns out he was a professor at Pierce Junior College and never taught at Caltech. In the Alamogordo Daily News story about Bob's uh, jet-powered Honda, the article mentions that Bob and his wife, Carol, had been in Los Alamos for about a month moving to California. In 1986, Bob, Bob filed for bankruptcy. In the bankruptcy filing, he only listed two addresses in the previous six years, and both were in Los Alamos. There's no record of Bob ever living in or around Cambridge, Massachusetts, where MIT is located. So Bob's educational background is maybe a little bit suspect. 
Uh, Bob's job at Los Alamos, though, has also come under scrutiny. Bob has claimed for a long time that he worked at Los Alamos National Lab. George Knapp tried to verify those claims with the lab, but they had no record of Bob ever working there. What George did find, though, was a 1982 phone book for the lab, which clearly listed Robert Lazar. To those who believe in Bob's story, this is definitive proof that he actually did work for Los Alamos National Lab. According to Bob Lazar Slayer Stanton Friedman, though, the phone book for the lab includes employees from an outside contractor, Kirk Meyer. Kirk Meyer would not have been hiring physicists into the lab, but would have been hiring electronic technicians, fabricators, data entry personnel, machinists, basically support staff for the physicists who were actually employed by the lab itself. Uh, next to Bob's name in the phone book is a K slash M designation, allegedly, uh, which would signify that he worked for Kirk Meyer and not for Los Alamos National Lab proper. Despite all that, Bob still told the Jet Car reporter that he was a physicist at the lab. So if anything, Bob's career after Los Alamos is even more hotly contested, if you can believe it. Obviously, Bob claims he was living in Las Vegas uh, and wanted to get back into a kind of science job. He wanted to rejoin the science community and fired around a bunch of resumes, including one to Ed Teller, who then helped him get employed at S4. That mart, that part, you know, it, it might be true, but, you know, there are some skeptics. In 1985, Bob and his wife allegedly bought a legal brothel in Nevada. Stanton Freeman doesn't believe Bob could have gotten the required clearance to work at S4 having operated a brothel. Scientist and blogger Tom Mahood questions how Bob could have gotten security clearance after having filed bankruptcy in 1986. Mahood is even skeptical that there is a facility at all at S4, having uh, been in the mountains near the restricted area and never having sighted the hangar doors alleged by Bob. If we assume, though, that Bob was somehow able to get security clearance and, you know, secure a job at a facility near Groom Lake, the home of Area 51, what about the extraterrestrial craft Bob claims to have worked on? Well, according to Mahood, one of the things actually going on at Groom Lake was that the government was running some kind of particle accelerator to shoot particle beams into the atmosphere. Apparently, if you fire a high-energy proton beam into the atmosphere, it creates a glowing ball of plasma in the sky. Mahood believes that Bob knew about the particle beam machine and that Bob may have even worked on it. Through this experience, Bob would have known when the facility fired the particle beam, which would have allowed him to bring his friends to show them the quote-unquote so-called UFOs. Because this activity is still classified, Bob's story cannot be definitively disproved. Now, bunk funkers, I'm no egghead scientist, but let's talk a little bit about the science behind Bob Lazar's claims. Obviously, Bob has claimed a lot of technical things about the craft he worked on. Do these claims hold up? As we mentioned already, Bob describes the craft as creating a distortion in space-time, which the craft then uses to bring the destination to itself rather than moving through space. Uh, kind of like the Planet Express ship in Futurama. To scientists, though, this doesn't make a lot of sense. Basically, everything distorts space-time. 
That's just how gravity works. Uh, we're all distorting, distorting space-time right now. What physicists think Bob is describing is a wormhole, which is a theoretical concept, but one that's not entirely new. Uh, we've probably all heard the term at one point. Based on our understanding, in order to create a wormhole big enough and durable enough to allow the craft to move through, you'd need a whole lot of energy. Maybe like uh, if all the matter in the Earth was converted to energy. Essentially, physicists don't find it compelling that there could have been enough fuel at S4 to operate the craft as described by Bob, especially not the relatively small amounts of fuel Bob said were on hand. Not to mention, if the craft creates a wormhole and creates this gravitational field to travel, surely this would have an impact on the surrounding area and probably the whole Earth. Mainstream physicists like Dr. David Morgan believe that if the craft Bob described uh, operated in the way he described, the craft would draw everything in the nearby universe to it, including us all, bunk funkers. Bob's claims regarding the power source of the craft have also earned him critics. Bob has maintained that the crafts at S4 operated on element 115. It's the stuff that generates the gravity waves and also powers the craft. He says the way it worked is that once element 115 was placed in the reactor and the dome of the reactor was in place, the reactor just began working. No wiring, no switches, no nothing. It just goes when everything's in place. He says the way the reactor generates energy is by smashing a proton into the element 115, making element 116, which immediately decays, but also knocks loose an antiproton, the proton's antimatter cousin. Antimatter is just like regular matter, but with the opposite charge. Think of it as matter's evil twin with a sinister mustache. So this antiproton would have a negative charge. Now, here's what egghead physicists say about this. Antimatter doesn't just live in the nucleus of other matter waiting to be bumped out by a reckless proton. The way to create antimatter is by converting energy to get a proton-antiproton pair. The amount of energy this takes is the same amount of energy you get out. You basically have to have a proton-antiproton pair already. Then you smash them together to get a new proton-antiproton pair. Essentially, if the craft used antimatter for its power, it, cre it would create net energy of zero. I ain't no egghead, but I sure do know that zero horsepower ain't getting you anywhere. All right? Get her done. Uh, element 115 itself is an element so named because the number of protons in the nucleus of, an, of a 115 atom. A frequent claim is that the element 115 was completely unknown before Bob went public, but... This really isn't true. Uh, the heaviest element we find in nature is uranium, number 92 on the periodic table. But even in the 1960s, it was theorized that heavier elements could be created. In fact, it was sometimes thought that, despite heavier elements being typically unstable, that there would be an island of stability somewhere around 114 protons. Even in 1989, just two weeks before Bob went public with his story, Scientific American ran a piece on the possibilities of creating stable heavier elements, again, around 114. To be fair to Bob, element 115 is no longer just an idea, it actually exists. It was first synthesized in 2003 and now has the name Muscovium. 
The only way we know how to produce muscovium is in a particle accelerator by smashing calcium ions into a mericium. Further, muscovium is pretty unstable with a dang fast half-life. The most stable isotope of the element known today, muscovium-290, has a half-life of 0.65 seconds. Bob claims that there were hundreds of pounds of element-115 at S4, but based on what we know, it's not really possible to accumulate an appreciable amount of muscovium. Bob, however, maintains that element-115 at S4 is likely an isotope we haven't been able to recreate here on Earth. I think most chemists, though, would probably say that there's no evidence that any of the elements near the atomic weight of muscovium are significantly more stable. But again, I'm not an egghead chemist. I'm also not an egghead astronomer, but here we go. Bob has said that element 115 is possibly plentiful in the star system where the extraterrestrials originate. Again, that's Zeta Reticuli. Since it's a binary star system, Bob's hypothesis is that perhaps the binary star system has produced worlds where element 115 is abundant, and the ETs essentially grew up working with 115, so maybe their development track is just different because of that. This idea, however, is not consistent with what astronomers say happens in stars. Stars produce heavier elements through fusion. Earth's sun fuses hydrogen atoms, that is, smashes them together in its hot, hot tummy, to make helium, which releases the radiant energy we enjoy today. More massive stars can produce heavier elements by fusing different atoms together, all of this producing energy. Through fusion, stars can only produce elements as heavy as iron and nickel, uh, 26 and 28 respectively on the periodic table. To make heavier elements, stars need to add energy. The only way this happens is through a supernova, the explosion of a star. As far as we know, all elements heavier than nickel and iron have been created by supernovae, shooting their big fat loads of heavy elements all across the universe. It stands to reason, then, that heavy elements should be fairly evenly distributed throughout the universe, regardless of the type of star system. Astronomers also indicate that a binary star system would not necessarily produce heavier elements. Uh, in the case of Zeta Reticuli, it's just two regular stars orbiting the same point. Now, Andy, you may not be an egghead, but you're also not a good judge of character. <laughs> Well, that's true. <laughs> but we're going to try. I gave those house painters shit. all my money and I don't own a house. <laughs> you never even got it painted. I don't have a house. There's nothing to paint. Yeah. All right. But we're going to try and write that ship today by looking at Bob Lazar's character. Like who he is as a person, right? Now, bunk funkers, this might seem irrelevant, but, you know, Andy and I, we're, we're trying to get you the whole enchilada on Bob Lazar, and that enchilada includes some tasty, creamy filling on his life and times. <laughs> so creamy. It gets creamy. Bob married his first wife, Carol, on July 27th, 1980. As we've discussed already, they apparently moved to Los Alamos in um, 1982, where Bob says he gained employment with Los Alamos National Laboratory. We've mentioned Bob's bankruptcy already, but it's worth mentioning that in the bankruptcy filing, which was in 1986, Bob never listed employment with Los Alamos or Kirk Mayer, the uh, Los Alamos contractor. The filing also doesn't mention the brothel, the Honeysuckle Ranch, by the way. 
that Bob and Carol allegedly purchased in Nevada in 1985. The only employment the bankruptcy file lists is as self-employed photo processors, which does appear to be an actual business that the Lazars operated. In 1985, the Lazars bought a home in Nevada where, according to the bankruptcy filing, Carol lived primarily while Bob stayed in Los Alamos. Possibly they were both running photo processing businesses in separate cities, I don't know. On April 19th, 1986, Bob married his second wife, Tracy. He was still married to Carol at the time. Then, two days later, on April 21st, 1986, Carol committed suicide by carbon monoxide poisoning from auto exhaust. Also in April 1986, Bob moved into the house in Las Vegas where Carol lived. He filed bankruptcy in July of 86. A lot of weird shit went on in 1986. Quite a year for Bob Lazar. Yeah. On October 12, 1986, Bob and Tracy married again for some reason. Only this time, Tracy gave her name as Jackie. The marriage certificate was sent to the house where Carol had lived and died, indicating that Bob and Tracy slash Jackie were now living there. Oh, boy. It didn't last long, though, because in March of 88, the bank threatened to foreclose because payments were not being made. Tracy slash Jackie bought a new home, and Bob deeded all of his interest to her. The house where Carol died was sold at auction. Bob separated from Tracy slash Jackie in May 1989, the same month his first interviews with George Knapp were broadcast. In June 1990, Bob was arrested and eventually pled guilty to a felony charge for pandering. Uh, The arrest stemmed from Bob visiting a prostitute. Bob and the prostitute, whose name was Tony Bullock, uh, must have hit it off because Bob sent her to set up a solicitation business. Bob kept records of customers and uh, took at least a 50% share of Tony's fees. He was a pimp. Uh, (laughs) An administrative pimp. pimp. Um, Bob also tried to get other women to participate. (laughs) Ultimately, Bob got six months probation, 150 hours of community service, and was ordered to undergo psychotherapy. The judge told him he also had to stay away from brothels. Of course, there's also the matter of Bob's other legal troubles. While he feels he's being uh, targeted unfairly by the government, United Nuclear does seem to have some pretty wild stuff on its website. Bob is a pyrotechnic enthusiast, so it's not that surprising that he probably is involved in the making and selling of illegal fireworks, or even in the sale of dangerous chemicals. In fact, the raid in 2016 during the filming of the documentary was conducted to look for evidence related to a murder committed in Michigan. Allegedly, the victim died of thallium poisoning, which may have been obtained from United Nuclear. Thallium is a colorless, odorless, tasteless, and highly toxic substance that's tricky to detect. Bob gave an interview where he said United Nuclear did not typically carry thallium, but that in 2007, a element collector that is to say, a person who collects every element on the periodic table, well, they died and left his collection to his sister, who then asked Bob to sell it on his site. And even though Bob and Jeremy Corbell think that the raid was in response to the secret interview during the documentary shooting, police had already obtained search warrants the day before the interview. 
Law enforcement continues to maintain that the only reason the FBI was involved at all is because local law enforcement was not equipped to properly handle thallium. One additional thing. On the Joe Rogan Experience podcast, Bob claims that he's made no money off his status as a UFO pseudo-celebrity, reinforcing that he only tells his story because he believes it's the right thing to do. He claims any money made from the Netflix documentary is donated to local science education programs. Hey, that's a noble gesture if true, right? Very true, yeah. Aside from this, though, Bob recently wrote a book. He's undoubtedly made paid appearances at conventions and the like. He does sell UFO and Area 51 merch on his website, and he worked with Testor's models to make a model of the craft at S4. Allegedly, Bob got a percentage of all those sales. Now, aside from all this, another popular piece of Bob Lazar lore is the hand scanner Bob has described at S4. Bob said there were scanners where you place your palm on the surface and the machine uses a bright light to measure the bones in your fingers. Lazar believes, or Lazar believers, or Bob believers, as I call them, claim that such a device was unheard of before Bob brought it to light. The device Bob described, however, was seen in the 1977 E.T. film Close Encounters of the Third Kind. The scanners also had some commercial applications and were in use at government facilities and even in some early ATMs. I also think it's worth mentioning that after Bob left S4 and started talking to George Knapp, he had trouble remembering all the details. Bob voluntarily underwent hypnosis to help him remember his time at S4. Now, I'm not suggesting that there's anything wrong with hypnosis. Art and I are both big fans of famous hypnotist Evan Essence of Life. But is it possible that Bob's memories were somehow changed by hypnosis? Or maybe that he used hypnosis as a way to believe something about his life that didn't actually happen? I raise this question because George Knapp put Bob through a series of no fewer than four polygraph tests with a polygraph expert weighing in on the results. Bob was found to be not deceptive. Is it really possible that Bob Lazar is telling the whole truth about everything in his story? Craig open your knee. Watch the yolk and the white spill out. What the fuck is even the point of this show? Visit a local music shop and buy a trumpet. Yell into the trumpet everything you feel and see what happens on the other side. Are we really just hamsters in this rat race of life? Is there any way to get from Lincoln, Nebraska to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania without taking a red turn? These are the things that haunt me at night. Every time I sit on the toilet, I start to cry. Shave your best friend completely and you fucking tell me if you still like him after that. Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast will be right back after this brief message. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And And we're we're the the Professional Professional Book Book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. 
On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy happy reading. reading! Hey, welcome back, listeners. That was our uh, research of the Bob Lazar story. Uh, Maybe we'll title ours the Bob Lazar story. The man who worked on an alien spacecraft and also like ran a prostitution ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tried to sit. Uh, Bob Lazar is basically uh, Butters Butters. from that one episode of South Park. Actually, you know what I am saying? You're telling me you tried making some real motherfucking money. Yeah. Bob Lazar was you know was what a I pimp, am saying? But he was like a pimp with a pocket protector. Yeah. He was a pimp that ran QuickBooks. He was like, he was the, he was the pimp with an accountant degree. Yeah. The pimp who paid his taxes. Um you know, uh, whew, Andy, so many, so many places for us to start with this one. Huh? God, I mean, this is a dense topic, right? Uh, yeah, and I mean, you know, we want to do it justice. This is a this yeah. is a cornerstone kind of of the, I think of the UFO uh, community, and but you went on a bit of a journey. While, <laughs> yeah, maybe that's a good research. place to start, Art. Talk about my personal journey. Yes. Uh, through this research, um, so. I'll just preface everything. You were in India. You did LSD with the Beatles. You practiced (laughs) Hare Krishna. Yeah. I I enrolled at Maharishi International University for a while. Um, Where you studied yogurt. I studied. I became a hot uh, hot yogurt yogi. And uh, so now I don't wear pants. And I eat exclusively (laughs) out of picnic baskets. (laughs) I've been on a journey. Um. I'll, I'll let me start be, by uh, prefacing everything that I say about Bob Lazar by uh, telling the bunk funkers that before Mr. Bunker gave us this topic, I really didn't know that much about Bob Lazar, uh, to be honest, for yeah. for whatever reason. It's it's a name that I've heard before. Um, but in terms of substance on Bob's story, I really had no idea. Um, the only thing that I really knew is that he is controversial, that he's somebody who's been uh, the target of criticism from both within and without the UFO uh, extraterrestrial believer community. Um, you know, it's it's pretty typical for a person like this to get criticism from outside that community, you know, for being whatever pseudoscience or uh a crack crank whatever you want to whatever you want to say but um you know obviously as we saw in the uh in the research even stanton friedman had a real big boner for bob lazar and discrediting him Stan Freeman Slayer is my favorite metal band about uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's a great band. Physics. Also a great great sandwich, great burger at Kuma's Corner. Um, <laughs> yeah. um but the journey I went on is 
when when we got this topic, I started uh, first thing, the first research that I did. Um, well, to be honest, I looked at Bob's Wikipedia page just to get a baseline idea of high level Bob Lazar, um, which doesn't really, you know, that doesn't do a lot. Right. Um, so the next thing that I did is I, I watched the Netflix documentary, Bob Lazar, uh, area 51 and flying saucers or whatever order that's in. I think I keep saying it backwards. Um, but the Netflix documentary on Bob, um, I watched that next. Um, I, I came away from that. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't really convinced, but I, I think you can make a lot of, of honest to God criticisms of that documentary. And I think they're oh, all fair. we'll get into the criticisms yeah. of the documentary. We'll get into that. I, I know, I know we're going to talk about it, but um, one, one thing that it did do, uh, I think is it, Bob comes off as like kind of just a regular Joe, I guess a little bit like, yeah. He seems well. It's probably because he's only in it for a total of like I think uh, right, total runtime right. of seven minutes, maybe. Yeah, most of it is the people who directed it and paid for it, right. uh, Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp. But that's again, we'll talk about it. But I think Bob comes off as um, as seeming kind of genuine. Like, I mean, I walked away from it feeling like I don't think that I believed his story, but I think that I felt like he was somebody who must have experienced something. And was trying to make sense of it all. Um, and then the next thing that I watched was I watched the Joe Rogan podcast uh, where Jeremy Corbell and Bob Lazar are on. And it was a little it's a little bit less. Um, I think Bob doesn't come off as well. Um, he said he had a migraine during the Joe Rogan uh, right. podcast, which is a um, little sus, but a little sus. Yeah, I agree that, you know. I mean, he still managed to be on the podcast for two hours uh, and stuff. But as someone you know, who has suffered from migraines in the past, would you say that's an easy feat or not an easy feat? I mean, honestly, if I, if it was like migraines like I used to get, I might not have been able to. I mean, I probably would have looked awful. Like, first of all, I would have been sweating. I mean, profusely. well, that's a given. <laughs> yeah. I mean, worse than usual art, if oh, you can okay. imagine. Um, and you used to get I, those from jerking off too much, right? That's yeah. It was lack of cum in my body is why I would get migraines. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, no, I mean it, he says he has a migraine, and then he keeps forgetting stuff. He loses his train of thought. I mean, it comes off a little bit like maybe he's stalling. But yeah. but that said, like Bob's had a fairly consistent story for thirty yes. years, so yes. I kind of didn't feel too weird about it. Um, and I kind of left after watching those two things, like those are, those are both, I think things that are favorable to Bob. Like, I don't think oh, that very. Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan's not like, Oh, Bob, you're awesome. You're one of the best people in the world ever. But like, he's not, he's not necessarily challenging Bob on this stuff no, um, I, too much. Yeah. I mean, I know that's not, that's not like. The, you don't go to the Joe Rogan podcast for hard hitting investigations into these topics, but no, uh, um, I walked away from it feeling like I'm kind of believing Bob Lazar. Like I'm feeling like the consistency in the stories, like he sounds the same way in the documentary that he did on Joe Rogan. You know, it's like, he seems like 
an earnest type of person. He's uh, very likable. I mean, he's very down to earth. He's a straight shooter. He's yeah. not uh, overly emotional or flamboyant. He's just like, this is what I believe happened. This is the story. This is it. That's all I want to talk about. I don't want to talk about my past. I don't want to talk about blah, blah, blah. But like, there's a part in the Jeremy Corbell quote unquote documentary movie, I guess I'll say. <laughs> yeah. Video, long, term. long video. Um, long where, YouTube uh, video. Yeah. Extended where, length uh, YouTube. I think Jeremy is like, well, I kind of want to talk about like your timeline, like where you grew up, what you did, yada, yada. And Bob is just like, I'm not interested in talking about that. Even a little bit. I'm a very private person. Yeah. And I just want to, this just want to mention my story. That's it. That's all I want to yeah. talk about. And it's like, he maintains that he doesn't want to talk about all the other stuff. And he, and he doesn't bring of, up his, you know, you don't learn about the wife's, all the stuff with his wives and all that like kind of like weird, like not weird, but like kind of dirty laundry esque stuff from right. any of those two sources. No. And, and you know, the thing, because I was feeling that way that I was like, well, maybe I believe Bob Lazar a little bit. I had this, I had this moment. I was folding laundry. Um, and I'm like, I kind of believe Bob Lazar a little bit. And I was like, but if I believe Bob Lazar, I don't believe a lot of the stuff that I've said over the last, like <laughs> however many years of my life, like I'm really, you know, I'm really starting to question these things. So I dig in more to the research and like, I'll be honest, the, the number of uh, sources, it's like Bob, Bob is so polarizing. There are so many things that either are like Bob is doing everybody such a good service or it's Bob is such a fraud. Yeah. And it's and like that's after, from both sides. Yeah. After a while, it just feels like the wealth of stuff and from the most, um, I don't know if I want to say trusted sources is all that Bob is not being completely honest here. And I think the thing that, that turned it for me the most um, was probably Tom Mahood's blog on Bob. Cause he's got a lot of stuff in there. Um, and I don't know the veracity of any of this stuff. You know, Tom Mahood says that he's like, he's talked to people who knew Bob, like when Bob lived in Las Vegas, but before the time he allegedly started working at S4 and what Tom Mahood thinks happened. And I, I'm kind of buying into this a little bit because it kind of makes sense to me is that Bob Lazar somehow was able to get security clearance in the late eighties to work at this facility that was, uh, near groom Lake. Uh, so like we talked about a little bit in the research groom Lake is the area in Nevada where area 51 is. And there's a whole bunch of restricted areas around that part of the state. And there's another lake, Papoose Lake, that's right. south of Groom Lake. And that's where Bob says S4 is. Um, it, like, the the information is kind of mixed in my mind. Um, so I don't know that S4 is actually a designation or a place, but it might be. But at any rate, there's no real evidence that at that spot where Bob says there's any kind of facility uh, where there's this kind of activity going on. Um but that's that's kind of not as as central to the the point that Tom Mahood is making. Tom Mahood thinks that Bob got a job at Groom Lake, 
he was working there. He was probably working on this particle accelerator um, that they had there that was shooting these proton beams into the sky. Uh, Mohud thinks maybe part of like Star Wars defense uh, system or something like they were trying to test it, something like that. We're um, going to call it Star Wars. <laughs> hey, yeah, it's you me, are President Ronald Reagan's corpse. <laughs> you have Missed got all me. the voices tonight. Missed me. Remember that when uh, someone popped a balloon after Reagan got shot and he just looked up and said, you missed me or something. <laughs> you remember that? I don't remember that. Yeah, you were. I don't remember that. You? Uh, probably I was. Um, I remember when uh, Reagan did get shot and he went to the hospital and he, Dang, told, I uh, shot. he told the surgeon that he hoped the surgeon was a Republican. <laughs> but I digress. Um, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. That wasn't him, was it? Yeah, that was him. Was that Bush? Oh no, that was that was him. Okay. Anyway, Mrs. Gorbachev, tear down your bra. <laughs> That's right. Gorbachev was being cucked by Reagan. Um. So where where were we? Oh, Tom how do you think Hood. he got that liver spot on his head? That's Reagan's uh, yeah. cum. Reagan's cup. That's what it does. Look, it burns. You should have seen Nancy's body. That's why she never wore short sleeves. Yeah. So many birthmarks everywhere. Um, so Tom Hood thinks that Bob Lazar got a job at Groom Lake. He was working on these particle accelerators shooting uh, proton beams into the atmosphere, creating these balls of plasma in the sky that, you know, to, I mean, anybody, it could look like, it could look like a on a, a UFO. It could look like an extraterrestrial craft. I mean... These things are just plasma. They don't have to obey the laws of like mechanics or anything. Uh, it's just plasma in the sky. I mean, some of the people that went to these, you know, to watch these so-called crafts with Bob Lazar uh, described them as looking like they were going to explode, but didn't. And that sounds like a bright ball of plasma a little bit. Um, so Tomahood thinks that Bob knew about this particle accelerator, uh, but that he might have uh, told his friends and stuff just as a gag that he was working on like extraterrestrial spacecraft. And then he took them out there to watch this stuff. Um, and either that or, you know, just for whatever reason, they went out there and, and watched it. Um, and that when they got caught and he's being interrogated, like he knows he's in serious trouble because he basically brought a bunch of uh, civilians without security clearance to watch uh, top secret, like confidential activities of a military installation in the United States. So Mahood's speculation is that Bob has told this story to people uh, because it's keeping him from being in trouble and that it's become it now it's it's like it got away from him in a way uh that you know now he's become this big thing and he has to keep telling this lie because the the information at groom lake isn't declassified so yeah. he can't be proved he can't be proven wrong yet and now he's stuck like, in bed with uh someone who looks like they got kicked out of mumford and sons 
<laughs> you talking about his wife, Joy? No, oh, I'm talking, you're talking about, about Jeremy, Corbell. Corde- Jeremy Corbell. Okay, he looks like he got kicked out of Mumford and Sons for being uh, too much of a hipster. Tool. Yeah, he weaponized his hipsterism. Yeah, um, uh, that's an so, interesting theory. I mean, that's it's an interesting. That's very Occam's Razor. That's very in your wheelhouse, Andy. Um, I think I think supporting this though is the Alamogordo Daily News yeah. article on Bob, where he described himself as a physicist at. Los Alamos. He also um, basically just lied about the capabilities of the jet engine that were on his Honda. So, yeah, like like he said, it was the most efficient on available, which it wasn't. Uh, he lied about how much power it had and stuff. Like it's just the way that Mahood describes it is like Bob has a knack for um, like small bits of exaggeration that um, are like self promoting. You could easily get that past the layperson because I think he obviously does have technical mind and technical abilities. He obviously mm -hmm. does understand physics and chemistry probably more than the average person, I would say. Maybe not more than someone who actually works at MIT or someone who actually (laughs) works at Area 51 or wherever the fuck, you know. Um, But he certainly knows more than you or I if he told you, yeah, if I could put a jet engine on my fucking bike and he shows you the fucking jet engine, he shows you on the Jeremy Corbell video uh, movie thing that uh, he lights it up and it fucking burns and you're like, oh shit, look at that, you know? Yeah, and, and you know, I think I think that's a really good point that you make, Art, because when I was watching, when I'm watching the document, the, the movie and... <laughs> I'm watching. We're I'm struggling watching. not to call it a documentary. Yeah. Uh, when I'm watching, it is the movie, like it is like uh, two thirds not documentary, one third documentary. So I don't know yeah. what you call it. Yeah. The uh, doc. Yes. Uh, when I'm when I'm watching that, and I'm I'm watching Joe Rogan, and you hear Bob Lazar describe the operation of the craft and how it flies and stuff. To me, being a, a dummy who doesn't basically know anything about anything uh it's like oh okay that sounds cool um i think the way that stanton friedman described it is that it's like all good science fiction it sounds great but if you actually look into it it doesn't make sense (laughs) yeah he uh he really did like he understands research on antimatter and protons and all that boring shit in high school that put me to sleep and um he he gets how that stuff works and it's yeah you're right it makes for like a really convincing science fiction show like that's what people always draw to is stuff that um you know feels like it could happen in reality well you know what i think it is and i think that this might be the source of some of it is there's this there's this thread um of of scientific american in Bob's life, um, Bob, ha- you know, brags about having a particle accelerator in his bedroom. Um, Scientific American had plans, like even in the '60s, that would tell you how to build your own particle accelerator at home. Um, you know, you just you could order the parts or whatever, and it would tell you how to put them together and make your own particle accelerator. Uh, which is really weird, uh, frankly. 
uh, to me, but you oh, know, it's like I think great. Bob, kind of cool. You know, Bob growing up, he's a tinkerer. He's like a machine-minded guy. It seems like, um, you know, he's like he's not building jet engines from scratch. He's building them from a kit, or he's maintaining them. Uh, you know, that he's bought a whole like a functioning jet engine already. So it's kind of like, you know, when you say, oh, he put a jet engine on his bike, it's like part of me as being a layperson, I sort of think, did he build a jet engine? How Can you build a jet engine? Can a person build a jet engine? But then it's like you read into it and it's like, oh, no, there's they make they make kits for this stuff. Like, yeah, I could build a jet engine if I, you know, had the tools and the interest uh, to do it. I could just buy a kit. I could buy a jet engine, like a little jet engine and like tinker around with it if I wanted to. Right. So like to me, there's that aspect, uh, you know, scientific American ran a story two weeks before Bob came out with his story with George Knapp that about, you know, heavier elements like starting at 114 being maybe more stable. Like to me, the way that a lot of the science people weigh in on the stuff that Bob says is it seems like he's probably a person who learned a lot of his science from a magazine. Like he knows yeah. it, he knows it in a way where he doesn't truly understand it. And, but he knows enough terms that he can string them together that for people who don't read scientific American ever, uh, like me, you just go, yeah, I mean, well, I'm, you're plausible. only reading uh national geographic and that's mostly for the pictures. That's yeah. I want to see, animal breeding I like when they show pictures of animals mating that's a source (laughs) Uh, oops and uh, I I always get a migraine when I read Nat Geo yeah (laughs) Um, I I mean that that is a very I mean that is a very I think that's a kind take on him because I I, I kind of I don't want to sound like super insensitive or like super mean, but it's part of me is kind of like so he had a lot of traumatic experiences in 1986. Uh huh. A lot of crazy shit went down for him. I mean, right. He's getting he, his wife is having an affair. He, uh, he is married to someone else while still married to her. She commits suicide. They're li- it's all over the place. He gets separated from his new wife. Bankruptcy, all this stuff, you know, unemployment, like who knows where he is with his employment. He's starting a brothel. And then all of a sudden in 1989, after all that terrible stuff kind of happens, he suddenly comes out with this story. Yeah. I don't know. You know? You know what I'm getting at here? It's kind of like all this crazy stuff and then suddenly story. Yeah. You're saying you're saying that what you think is that Bob saw this story as his ticket to um some type of success. Maybe or just maybe people in a way like fabricate their own kind of reality. Maybe he truly believes that that's what he saw and had happened because while he does have the book and he was in the documentary, it's not like he, I don't know. It's not like he went around and is like banking off this shit. You know, he doesn't release like, he doesn't have the Bob Lazar podcast. He doesn't have the fucking 
Bob Lazar's Conspiracy Time podcast, you know, Bob Lazar's Bunker, or um, he doesn't have the Bob Lazar show or the Bob Lazar radio show or the the Bob Lazar movie series or the he like he sells a couple of mugs, he sells like a book. I I, I don't know. I'm not gonna fuck like I'm not gonna like you know jerk the guy off over fucking trying to write a book. <laughs> Yeah, I don't I don't feel like he's gotten rich, but even Judge Ito wrote or actually Judge Ito was the only person who didn't write a book about OJ Simpson, right? Mm, or did Judge Ito write a book? I'm pretty sure that Judge Ito did something. Judge Ito was the one who wanted the cameras in there. He loved Judge, the spotlight. He did. Him and those somebody about guys who wear big thick glasses love the spotlight. Um but then it's like, you know, uh, even in the fucking Corbell film, he's like, he just doesn't want to talk about anything other than his story. So it's not like he is like running around reaping the fucking, be- he still works at his little uh, shop, which by the way, Bob, fucking get a better website. It's not secure <laughs> and it looks like it's from 1992. What? Oh, I mean, God. dude, seriously, like, come on. What is with these, like every subject of research that we look into they all have these like kooky fucking old stupid shitty sites it's so easy to start a website nowadays just update your website at least make it secure i wouldn't buy anything off of a website that isn't secure okay sorry i just have to go on a rant um you know a lot of stuff bob but maybe read a scientific american article on web design I had a feeling that you were going to say something about that. Um, I also want to point out that um, on Bob's website, on the United Nuclear website, uh, there there is a GIF, um, and it says it says something like "looking for uranium," and it's it's a GIF of a guy raising his eyebrows up and down, like. That's I don't know. Cute. There's just that's funny. yeah. There's just there's something about it. Um, uh, I don't know. Yeah, but you know, know. Then the there's thing- there's incon- inconsistencies. You know, it's like he he has been very good at saying that story, and yeah, whether parts of it is true or not, you know, uh, he's been very good at keeping that story the same. You know, he's on the Rogan podcast. Allegedly has a migraine. You know, maybe he actually does. I don't know. But he's mixing up dates. He can't remember certain things, you know. He's then yeah. he's saying on their show, "Oh, I'm not even a part of the UFO community. Not even a little bit. I don't even like UFOs." He says or something. Right, right. But it's like you know, well, you, you've kind of done a few talks and you've been around and you've done some things. You, you know, you're part of it. <laughs> you keep yeah. doing movies. If you really didn't want to be a part of this shit, um, you wouldn't do it. That's the thing you know, for me, Art. That's what gets me. Is he says he says I've never profited from this. I don't even like the attention. I just want to be left alone. It's like, why are you here? Why'd you do the Jeremy Corbell film? And like they make it sound like, oh, I had to try. I tried to. I had to try so hard uh, to get him to do this. This is Jeremy Corbell talking. But it's just like Bob keeps saying that he's not interested in it. Yet it's like. I find stuff like, oh, in 1993, he appeared at this convention and stuff. It's like, don't go and to UFO he goes around with Corbell to do press for the movie everywhere. 
you know, Joe Rogan, Larry King, they were on like multiple things together. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To me, why I, I don't, don't aliens want to come visit New York? It's me, Larry <laughs> King. Why do you look like a douche with your beard and your gray hair undercut? I don't understand. I'm Larry Great. King. Great Larry King. <laughs> We're here today with the ex-lead singer of the Mumford and Sons. <laughs> the one-time member of Mumford and Sons. Um, Jeremy. You know. Lockyer. Jeremy. Corbin. Cornbeef. Why do you have so many names? <laughs> How many Tell more me. names can you put into your name? <laughs> this Jeremy Lockyer Kenyon Corbell the second. Um, Jeremy Lockyer Goodyear Blimp. And then I have a ton of notes from I. The first thing I watched was the Joe Rogan thing, and I watched the documentary okay. after and. Okay. I don't know. I don't think I had the same journey as you. I don't think I ever fully was convinced. You know, get to verdicts later, but there was just right. a lot of stuff he was saying where I wrote, you know, I get it that he suffers from migraines allegedly or whatever. And it can be hard to remember stuff. I forget important stuff all the time. I forget birthdays, I forget anniversaries. All the you time, forget I forget. Live. I forget where I live. I forget how to use the bathroom properly. I forget how to eat, how to breathe. And by the way, if you're listening to the show right now, just want to remind you: you need to manually breathe. It is not an automatic process. <laughs> <laughs> you can stop breathing. It's possible. However, to stop many breathing. people listen to the show, you know the uh, millions of listeners of the show immediately just let out a. Uh, people hate it when you fucking bring that up. <laughs> Because they go, ah, oh, shit, I have to remember how to breathe. <laughs> oh, you mean that that thing where you like, once you start thinking about breathing, then it's yes. hard to stop thinking about you it? You have to think about it. Also, you yeah. all lost the game. Ha <laughs> um, ha. Oh, art. No. I'm sorry. I'm being a little cheeky tonight, okay? Yeah, you're a little wound up. But on the Joe Rogan show, he couldn't remember the first time he says like he couldn't remember the first time he touched an alien spacecraft with an American mm -hmm. flag on it. Joe asked him like, you know, and he's like getting, it's like, Oh, I can't remember. It was, uh, it was, you know, maybe that's the migraine, but I'm like, dude, you can't fucking remember the time you, the exact date and moment you touched a fucking alien spacecraft. Right. If I touched an alien spacecraft, I'd remember you'd remember. Cause that would like be burnt into your memory. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I, it is one of those things. And I think a lot of people found that same thing to be true that they felt like that really hurts his credibility when he can't remember these dates. Um, you know, that being said, Friedman, I think the Joe Rogan, the Joe Rogan mm -hmm. documentary paints him in a way better picture than the documentary. The documentary oh, you think, is, do you like think Joe so Rogan is, it paints him better than, uh, oh, yes. The, okay. Yes, uh, 100%. I just want to make sure because the I was, documentary I was is is it. terrible. It's a terrible documentary. We'll get in it and we'll shit on it because it is. It's stupid. <laughs> it's a bad movie. Um, it's terrible. Mickey Rourke's narration is fucking weird. There's Bizarre. all this stupid bullshit. Um, 
stock footage alien stuff that he throws in there. Yeah. Uh, Corbell completely lies. It's mostly him. It's all these reenactment stuff of him. It's just him and him and George Knapp are. It's just boring. Like a good portion of the film, like the setup to it. Okay, I don't want to. Well, we're going to talk about it. I don't want to. I don't want to. Let's just this. get into it. Let's stop beating okay. around the bush and just fucking okay. talk about this movie. The the way that it sets up, like they start off, and it's this shot of Jeremy Corbell's phone. Of course, you. I mean, I don't know who Jeremy Corbell is from Adam. Before I watched this thing, I never I knew a little bit before. about him. I knew a little. I didn't bit know about, about anything he, about extraordinary he made a encounters movie, or whatever. Yeah. He made a movie. I didn't about, watch the Skin, uh, Skinwalker Skin Ranch. Yeah, I didn't either because it has such terrible reviews. I think it's the kind of the same garbage. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it after watching after watching Bob Lazar, and then hearing that allegedly Hunt for the Skinwalker is even worse. I'm like, I kind of want to watch it just for the, the <laughs> wow factor of it. Like, sure, one I, day we will. I don't know how long it is. Yeah, huh? they, bunk bunkers. Maybe, good, maybe one uh, day we will. Good thing for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe something good for Artie and I to do. Um, but the way that it starts off is it's 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 Jeremy Corbell, his phone. It's these text messages coming from Bob Lazar, phone call coming from Bob Lazar. It's all about this FBI raid happening right now. Um, you know, as uh, we as yeah. as I I didn't notice this watching it through. Uh, at real time but uh i watched a, a robot head review uh which is linked in the show notes uh about it is and and i'm sorry to cut you off andy but i just have no to go say, ahead robot head makes some great videos but hey robot head if you're listening <laughs> your take on the mandalorian was fucking absolute hot garbage trash and you fucking know it was dude because that video you made on the mandalorian where you shit all over it has an insane dislike ratio and you never followed up. I know, listen, most of his content is shitting on Star Wars and I think that's great, but he had a fucking god-awful take on The Mandalorian and I just want him to know if he's listening, The Mandalorian was actually really refreshing and pretty good. It wasn't amazing. It was pretty damn good though and your take on it, hot garbage. All right, sorry. Wow. I just had to let Robot Head know if he's listening. <laughs> Robot Head, if you're listening, fuck you, dude. Uh, <laughs> So Robot Head did a did a review of Jeremy Corbell's Bob Lazar film and uh as he points out in this the dates on the phone and the dates on the text messages don't match up so oh my they God. so they recreated these text messages so they basically Holy like shit. they fake the text messages obviously they don't have professional like camera equipment ready whenever this happens cuz they didn't know it was going to happen um so they're not actually just like shooting Jeremy Corbell's phone constantly waiting for anything to happen on it. Um, and then it's like Jeremy Corbell in the bathroom. Um, and then it's like, so yeah, he's in the bathroom for some reason, by the way, there is a pink gel over the whole shot. There's yeah. this pink gel of, of yeah. and then it's a tight close up on uh fucking Corbell's goofy face. Yeah. Him like splashing water in his face and stuff like hand wringing and then texting with George Knapp and and Bob about it. Um, and that's like that's like the first at least five minutes of the whole thing. Uh, and it's only 90 minutes long. So that's that's a sizable chunk. Uh, and at this point, the only thing you've seen 
is a picture of Bob Lazar on Jeremy Corbell's phone. We don't know anything right. about Bob Lazar. And it, immediately after all this happens, it goes directly into talking to George Knapp, who is a co-producer of it. Uh, George Knapp uh, yeah. like, keeps talking about this like he had nothing to do with it except he gave advice to Jeremy Corbell, but it's like clearly yeah, and produced it and is listed as like the mentor. Right. By, oh, oh, let's not jump ahead here, but the credits of the film are very avant-garde. Um, they don't <laughs> list just the names of the people. It's Bob Lazar is like the subject. And then the, yeah. his wife's name is the wife, you know? Yeah. And like, yeah, Corbell is the filmmaker. Yeah. George Knapp is pretty fucking cool. Like he's a cool guy. Great fucking voice, great fucking presenter. I mean, the dude is made for TV. Oh, my God, yeah, uh, absolutely. I, you could listen to George Knapp talk about fucking anything. I mean, seriously. Yeah. And you know, whether you believe him, because he's heavily involved with Skinwalker Ranch and yeah, all this he's, shit yeah, and I mean, a lot he, of other UFO stuff, you know. Uh, I mean, in interest to our the bunk funkers out there, um, I mean, coast we did. Coast to coast. yeah. He he. When George Norrie's not hosting, it's you. He's hosting like on the weekends and stuff. When George Norrie's not hosting, uh, coast to coast. But um, I was going to say too that that uh, uh, George Knapp is is friends with Robert Bigelow, who right. was the billionaire uh, that that bought Skinwalker Ranch from uh, the the ranchers the, that lived the there. Shermans. Was the Shermans. I was going to say shepherds, but Shermans. Uh, thank you. So. Like George Knapp is in these is in these circles, like right, and you know this the, is that what, yeah yeah that what, kind of circle, like I call it like the Bigelow circle of mm-hmm. UFOlogy. It's like yeah, these are people like Tom DeLonge, and you know, there's it's really like a very kind of hotbed community that I read on Twitter, and they get into a lot of fucking arguments. I mean, a lot of arguments about <laughs> yeah. stuff about what they believe and what not to believe. There's a lot of talking heads in it but it's like the bigelow space it's bigelow it's nap corbell's part of it um Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this new owner of the skinwalker ranch tom DeLong, um the fucking oh god it's slipping my mind the name of his company that puts out like ufo stuff they you know they're always like the joke about them is they're always asking for like donations but then they don't um bigelow's company no, Tom DeLong's. Oh, oh, I don't know that. To the one. Stars Academy. I was gonna say um, NIDS. Yeah. Um But anyway. Yeah, they're all a part of the a big circle together, I think. And they're they're very I think it's very hotbed, it's very controversial. Yeah, and you know, George George Knapp was legitimate is legitimately a reporter. Like he yes, did that. He did great journalism with Bob Lazar. He tried to track down actual stuff with him to corroborate this I, guy's story i i have to i have to disagree a little bit with you you don't think so i think yeah i agree with you with what you're saying that he did try to track stuff down but i think that george knapp is a full-on believer in bob lazar i don't think right. that okay i don't think that he, he's not objective about it He's. I think that he's. Tr- I think that what he was trying to do was prove Bob Lazar right, rather than gathering evidence and trying to decide what to make of Bob Lazar, which is what George Knapp says he did. Is that he just kept investigating? I. I don't know that he investigated that deeply into it because he kind of believes Bob when Bob says, "Oh, my records are being erased." Um, 
And and one thing I want to bring up just real quick is the birth certificate, Bob's birth certificate. Because uh, I think that you hear this claim in in the film that Bob's birth certificate, he couldn't get a copy of it. Um, and George Knapp backs him up on this. George Knapp says he tried to get Bob's birth certificate in Florida and he couldn't get it from anywhere. Well, um, who was it that did this research? I think it was Tom Hood again. Uh, there's apparently three different places in Florida where your birth certificate could be stored, like official places where your birth certificate could be stored. could be at the hospital where you were born. Uh, it could be in the county uh, records uh, in the county where you were born, or it could be in the state records uh, for Florida, which is the most reliable thing. Like the hospital records are kind of all over the place because um, they're not really set up to keep birth certificates on file. Um so they may or may not have it. Um, so with Bob, uh, what Mahood thinks happened is that um, when George Knapp tried to find Bob's birth certificate, first of all, he probably wasn't able to obtain it legally because Florida has a law in place like since 1987 that your birth certificate can only be obtained by you or somebody who's uh, expressly authorized by you to have that information about you. Um and or that or that George Knapp didn't just didn't call the right places to get it because mm. apparently now Bob has maintained for like years that he was never able to get his birth certificate but he was actually he was eventually actually able to get a copy of his birth certificate once they called the right place so <laughs> it's like wow. I, you know this is just one of those things where that was like big evidence that Bob Lazar was being erased by the government yet it just seems like they didn't do the right thing to get it. And then once they did that, they got the birth certificate. <laughs> so it's like, it's not, it's not so much that George Knapp, pr- like, you know, but George Knapp bought into it like that. Oh, right. but, but I don't think that he's like convinced by it. I think that George Knapp is an opportunist. Uh, yeah, he saw a chance I, I, to advance yeah. his own profile as a reporter. This was a huge story a local story in las vegas what a great thing to just sort of fall into your lap because i think bob was referred to george knapp by um by another like a person in the ufo community uh, whether it was gene huff or somebody else uh that referred right right referred him to to george knapp for this so you know i think there's some connection there um i don't think that it's just all a weird coincidence and that George Knapp just vetted Bob really well and was convinced that he was right. I think that, I think George Knapp is selling us a story too. You can't look at either of these two guys and say they aren't profiting off of this. This is on Netflix. Absolutely. He was on the fucking Joe Rogan podcast. Like, I mean, yeah, Corbell was all over media talking to like all these different he's on fucking Larry King for guts I mean all over yeah. the place you I mean you can't look at it and say like oh it's like they're profiting off of this he's like, really trying to weaponize his celebrity <laughs> he's really trying to monetize his curiosity <laughs> yeah Justin says uh Justin had this great co- quote oh yeah when we were talking to him about funny. it there's some really compelling information somewhere through the fog of Jeremy Corbell's Axe body spray. <laughs> Listen, we're shitting on Jeremy a lot, and I think, you know, it's not nice to shit on somebody's art. 
because I mm-hmm. really do think that when you read about Jeremy Corbell, he actually has a black belt in jujitsu, which is super interesting. He was very into martial arts. Yeah. And he ran a program for at-risk youth with with martial arts, which is very admirable, very cool. Yeah, he, he was, was like a he was like a big martial arts instructor until he oh, got yeah. hurt. He got sick traveling in India. He got well, a that's terrible it, like valley fever or something and he lost yeah. like almost 40 pounds. Yeah, he was near and, death. And um you know, uh but uh you know, he also has a background in like uh, fine art and avant-garde art, and I think you fashion see that design. That's apparent. He's like a fashion designer. Fashion de- it's like that's apparent in this film because this is not like a run-of-the-mill documentary. This is um, it's very much more of a movie that somebody who is an avid believer and an avid um, he's. It's not like Jeremy questions Bob ever. It's not like Jeremy does Louis Thoreau style fly on the wall. Like I'm going to go live with Bob Lazar and his wacky life. It's none of that. Jeremy is a strong believer of it. He loves this kind of stuff and that's fine. I just think that there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff in that. Like I listed all the shit I hate about the fucking film, the annoying (laughs) pulsing techno music constantly in the background, filming George Knapp in his echoey pool house. What the frick was that about? Why do you say frick? What the fuck? Who, who's listening to this children? Don't let children listen to this podcast. Mickey Rourke's narration because I can't understand what the fuck he's saying. (laughs) The pacing of the film, the chronology of the storytelling is very confusing. Uh, None of it makes sense. I understand that Bob doesn't want to talk about his past because that's where the holes in his story lie. But it's so like I understood better Bob Lazar's story from the Joe Rogan thing than I did from oh, yeah. Jeremy's thing because he jumps around all over the fucking place. Well, and it isn't until like halfway through the movie that you're like, oh, that's what he oh, he fucking worked on alien tech. Like <laughs> it's so, like it starts the, out with like the raid, the FBI raid. And you're like, oh, I guess I get it. That's a hook. And it's like. Oh shit, like how'd this guy get raided by the FBI? Like, oh, what the fuck? And it's like you don't learn about that until like 75% through the movie. But you know, it's like it, at first it's like as somebody somebody like me who's coming into it with uh not a big knowledge of Bob Lazar, it's like it could be anything. Like maybe he's maybe he's got like child pornography on his computer. Like I don't know why he's being raided by the FBI. And <laughs> I'm expecting this I'm expecting this film to tell me, but it takes until like two thirds of the way through before it comes back to this. And you're like, oh, that's what the whole beginning of the movie was about. It was about this raid that's happening because of this stolen element 115. It's like it. I agree with you on the chronology. My notes when I was watching it are like all over the place. It's like literally everything just boomerangs around. It's like it gets mentioned at one point and then later on they actually give you the information about it. Like it's. Yeah. It's a confusing it's a confusing setup. Robot Head by the way has a great quote. Is Bob Lazar telling the truth? I don't know. I didn't know before and thanks to Jeremy I still don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have to say Robot Head made a good point about George Knapp too. Uh Yeah. George Knapp has been has been literally quote unquote investigating Bob Lazar for 30 years. Yet he knows no more than he did in like 1989. Like he has not learned <laughs> anything new. He has, you know, there has been no physical proof ever in 30 years. And that's where I kind of come from with this whole, 
George Knapp, George Knapp is selling a story rather than investigating a story. And I don't think it's wrong to care no. or like this stuff or believe. We're not shitting on it. No. But I and mean, I we're trying wanna, to judge wanna... the plausibility. Yeah. And I don't want to make it seem like I think that George Knapp sucks as a person or anything like George Knapp found no, George Knapp fucking slaps, dude. He fucking slaps. Yeah. He slaps he hard. Slaps. He slaps hard. And, you know, it's like if that's if that's your thing and that's what you want to go for, like I say, do it, you know, whatever. And Bob fucks, dude. Bob's a Chad. Bob is totally a Chad. Like, I know his wife fucking cheated on him and shit, but you know what? He's still a fucking Chad. I mean, he got married again. Okay. He fucking loves souping up his Honda. He loves shooting Uzis out in the desert. And, you know, this motherfucker is a stone cold killer. He's fucking selling thallium he's gonna poison your ass walter white style brap brap don't fuck with him he used to be a pimp um can i you know you brought it up and i i've got this i've got this page up uh because i've had it up because i definitely wanted to read this quote um this is a this is an article i found this web page uh that's an article from popular science in april of 1996 about the desert blast festival which is the festival bob Bob runs where they shoot off fireworks and they shoot guns in the desert. Uh, and this is a uh, written by Stuart F. Brown. There's a great quote from Bob at the very end of this article. We want to have fun and we'll clean up after ourselves. So just leave us alone. You can't burn. <laughs> you can't burn down a lake bed. <laughs> that is so that is a Bob Lazar fucking quote. That's, if that's I Bob ever Lazar, heard one. yeah. Uh, I w- I also think this is funny too. I want to read you uh, and the bunk funkers the rules for guests. Um, so if you get invited to Desert Blast, you get a list of these rules. Um, don't ever think about bringing pets or kids under eighteen. No, you can't stay at Bob's house. You will be in the middle of the desert in the summer. If you don't bring food and water for yourself, you will die. There will be there will be large fireworks, explosions, loud noises, unsafe conditions, and other dangerous things like random gunfire. If these things frighten you, you're at the wrong party. Do not bring any homemade fireworks. No, we don't trust your handiwork. Please shoot guns only in the designated area. Try not to kill anyone. If you are driving oh out God. to the dry lake, get there before 8.30 p.m. If you don't, the dirt road will be very hard to find. Clean up your mess when you leave and take it home with you. <laughs> there, it's a weird placement for that one, but okay. There are no bathrooms in the desert, only bushes. Your safety is your own problem. No one has been hurt in the past nine years, and it would be nice if we could keep it that way. If you get hurt or if the paint gets burnt off your car, the only one responsible will be you. <laughs> Told you, Bob Lazar's a fucking Chad. Bob's a Chad. He's a Chad. He's not. He's not Virgin Corbell. He's fucking Chad. Okay. Yeah, Virgin Corbell. He fucks. <laughs> he yeah. fucks, dude. He fucks. He fucks early. He fucks often. Yeah. He'll give you a desert blast uh, if you know what I mean. <laughs> your your lake your lake bed's not going to be dry after an encounter with Bob Lazar. That's for sure. <laughs> um, I I mean I really do think that like. Bob is such a matter of fact, down to earth, likable guy. He his story seems really convincing because he knows the science talk and he is that 
you know, the, the UFO community, like, let's be honest, they have a bit of a reputation. And what's the reputation? Uh-huh. They have a reputation. Weirdo yeah. lives in mom's basement. It's like, that's the trope. Is that fair? No. But that's the trope. And when someone like Bob comes along and they're just this matter of fact, just looks like, yeah, he looks like your typical scientist or a nerd. Like, But mm-hmm. he's like, he's not like a super nerd. Like, he's not a geek. He's just like... A smart dude. He looks like a. He looks like he'd be your chemistry teacher in high school. Yeah, and he's very matter of fact. He's good at presenting the stuff. He keeps his story straight. He has some connections to stuff that, for the layperson, is very unverifiable. Right. And I think that's why he is the subject of movies, and that's why we're talking about him today. Um, because you know- any fucking odd person can make. The same claims that he made. But, you know. Tom Tom Mahood thinks that that Ed Teller is the only reason that Bob Lazar is even a story today. Uh, and he thinks that because he, you know, he doesn't feel like Bob should have been able to get security clearance. So he feels like that maybe Bob got some kind of glowing recommendation from Ed Teller. That allowed him to get this job at S4 because he seems to feel like otherwise Bob wouldn't have gotten the job and then none of this would have ever happened. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. You know, you look at the fucking I mean, people act like even high level government position. It's like, you know, you can get into them. <laughs> if somebody's yeah. like, hey, give this guy a job and they're up the food chain. You're, right. you know, Come on. Yeah. I mean, Ed Teller was a was a government official for a long time. Like he, he ran one of these labs, uh, in California, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, and obviously he worked on the Manhattan project, uh, and then helped develop like hydrogen bombs. So he probably knew, he knew people to talk to. Yeah. The only thing Ed Teller probably knew about Bob was that he had an atom, uh, he had a particle accelerator in his bedroom because he probably talked to Bob about that kind of stuff. Yeah. And maybe that's, he's like, oh, you could use this guy as a, uh, he'll be a data entry dude for you. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then it, it just, he was like, oh yeah, he's probably fine to work on, uh, to work on particle accelerators. This guy's got one in his house. He'd be great to be a technician working on a particle accelerator. Uh, and then now it's, you know, Bob's flipped it to, that he was a scientist working on reverse engineering extraterrestrial craft. I mean, it's, and it's like, I don't know. I just think that like, if he had like, we wouldn't, don't you think that if Bob actually was like, all the stuff was true. Don't you think the government would just take him out? That's, that's a really good point And a big question mark here. First of all, Bob got caught. He admits that he got caught watching these, confidential test flights these these things that he wasn't supposed to see they had him in custody basically and then just let him go and decided to harass him instead um you know what tom mahood thinks is that like bob the only damage bob did was he made up this crazy story and he said the government had two options they could either have let him go on his way tell this crazy story and deal with that uh, and try to harass him into not speaking. But I'm not talking the level of harassment that Bob claims, but, you know, 
just try right. to impress on him like hey you shouldn't talk about it still um or like arrest him and then risk there being like a court case and stuff that becomes public record that they have to disclose that they really didn't want to disclose at that point right so and I, I mean think, I don't you know, I don't know how true that is yeah. obviously but that's that's what Mohud's speculation is I think 10 out of 10 times, the government would rather you believe it's alien technology rather than some kind of new weapon system or fucking other piece of uh, tech that they're working on to, you know, further war efforts and kill people and stuff yeah. like that, right? Like, if, if they want you to, th- I think I'm in the camp that they would rather have you running around thinking, and maybe they're even spreading it themselves, that this is, oh, this is alien technology. And it's like, Bob even says himself that part of his story is that these secret government jobs give you disinformation, secret dossiers that are totally made right. up so that they know if you went and if 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 the government heard that uh, you were running around telling people about Zeta Reticuli, they know it was you because you were the only person that they gave information about Zeta Reticuli to. And it's like, right. OK, well, if that's the case, one, how can we trust that any, if not all of what you're saying is true. And two, why the fuck haven't they capped your ass or locked you up or like taken you out before you were anybody? Like, is it because, oh, this story went worldwide. It was like, I mean, you know. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's like, I mean, I think they bring that up on Joe Rogan is like, did they have him read all that stuff just as disinformation to pollute his mind to the truth of what he was working on? And you know, it's like you said, I kind of see the value of them doing something like that. But uh, I'm pushing my own story here uh, with this. And I'm going to go back to this whole uh, scientific American idea. And I'm just going to point out that Bob's not the first person to claim that extraterrestrials came from Zeta Reticuli. Uh, Betty and Barney Hill also said the same thing. Well, I guess it was Betty, right, that said it. Uh, I mean, not something that we've covered here, but this is a... Uh, Another cornerstone, a huge cornerstone yeah. in the UFO community is the Benny and Barney Hill abduction story. Right. And, and and that's what Betty and Barney maintained is that the the gray aliens, which this is what Bob is talking about too, these gray aliens that come from Zeta Reticuli. And to me, it's like... This is a lot of stuff with Bob Lazar, right? He's not saying anything new. He's sort of repeating things that already exist. So, yeah. in a way, it's like it's the same it's like the same thing with science. Like he can he can use the words, but he's not always like adding new information or putting them together in a way that's meaningful or helpful um or sometimes even comprehensible. He blinded me with science. Yeah, yeah. Bob Lazar blinded me with science. He blinded me with his massive hog and his souped-up Honda <laughs> Civic. <laughs> the f- hey, baby, I got a, I got a jet engine in my. Is that a jet engine in your pants? Yeah, you there, it is, there it is. There it is. Um, what's your energy coefficient on that jet engine you're sporting in your jeans, there, Bob? Um. <laughs> You know Bob's packing up jet engine down there. I I gotta talk Bob about Bob puts what. jet engines on everything. You know he put one on his hog. Put, well, definitely. Yeah. He's got a jet powered dick now. <laughs> they didn't um They wrote about that in Alamogordo yeah. too. 
I got another thing. I got another thing I want to bring up with you. Yeah. Uh, and we were we were just kind of you were just kind of touching on this, and it's the element of hypnosis. Now, obviously, in the Corbell film, they bring up the hypnosis. They bring out the guy yes. who did the hypnosis for Bob. Uh, Bob after- went to a hypnotist to help yeah. remember details about the sports model, which is what he calls the craft that he worked on. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but and then he draws a very detailed, actually pretty decent outline of the whole thing which by the way he sells prints of on his website yeah i was gonna say uh, the same thing <laughs> um so he drew he, he draws and he the the hypnotist went through all these exercises with him to help him remember details i think i think the thing is that as we learned doing our mandela effect episode uh oh, your, yeah. mem- your memory is a very malleable thing oh and yeah. using hypnosis to access repressed memories or things that you think you've forgotten. Um, I guess what I'm trying to suggest in all this, is it possible that Bob, Bob, Bob was able to pass polygraph tests. Polygraph tests are bullshit. By the way, can I just say it's fine. They're very easy to cheat them. All you have to do is clench your butt. Really? I'm serious. You have to clench your butt very hard. This is true. You have to clench your butt very hard and get your stress levels. Uh, you have to get your blood pressure and stress levels like high before they start measuring you. Oh, so that's that, a good idea. So that like your normal, you unclench your asshole and your uh, stress levels drop a little bit when you're actually being questioned. You can fucking fake the whole damn thing. It's a true fact. Yeah. And, you know, trust me, like, when it comes to techniques on clenching your butt, <laughs> arts the guy. I can fucking. I could fucking pop out a diamond. You put some coal in my butt cheeks. I'll pop out a diamond for you. Um, put that on a ring and use it to marry your second wife. <laughs> While you days before your first wife commits suicide, and then go open a brothel. Then, then find a prostitute after your second wife leaves you, and try to help that prostitute set up a business and get her on QuickBooks. It's the American way. <laughs> you know, serial killers. But you were saying, memory is very valuable. A, serial killers could pass a polygraph. Uh, Anyone can pass a polygraph. I'm I'm actually being serious about the butt, cl- the butt clench. The art butt clench <laughs> method is tried and true. It is uh, yeah. well tested. Well, no, it makes, I'm telling it makes you, sense. It's true. If you If you raise your stress levels, then all the equipment that they use to test you gets a different baseline. So right, then you're that's ba- it. So then if you calm down at all, they'll say, oh, well, you're not being deceptive. You're fine. You're much calmer uh, than when you sat down. Uh, uh, and uh, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, hypnosis I think is obviously real and it is possible, but um, you have to be subject to it. You have to be someone who is um, able to be hypnotized, right? Like not everyone you, can be hypnotized. Uh, you have to. You, uh, the way I've always heard it described, I mean, I've never undergone hypnosis myself for anything. I haven't either. But the way I understand it is that, um, when you're, when you're hypnotized, you, a lot of people think that you go into a trance and the hypnotist can make you do anything that they want, but that's not really how hypnosis works. You have to, you have to want to be hypnotized to be able to be hypnotized to begin with. And then when you're under hypnosis, you can only do things 
that you want to do of your own free will. The hypnotist can make suggestions to you and can try to help you do something when you're in a hypnotic state, um, but they can't make you do anything against your will or make you like, you know, remember something that you don't want to remember or all that. I guess where I'm going with this is like Bob's had this consistent story for 30 years and maybe it's just rehearsed and he's good at it. But it's like maybe he did this hypnosis just so that he could like plant these things in his mind that become like memories for him instead of just a thing that he has to think about. I mean, you could convince yourself of fuck. We've seen this. This is like this is everything, you know, it's every like that's a good way to put it. Honestly, movie trope. It's like you can convince yourself character a, a, a delusional character can convince themselves of anything i'm you know uh like uh i don't know that they're gonna get out or something like it's the, that the it's criminal. that it's that dress holy Twitter. shit we're we're so fucking bad <laughs> we're so fucking bad at uh analogies for movies and stuff it's that dress from twitter that's everything in life right well, that thing was always uh, blue and gold, so I don't know what you're fucking talking right. about. Right, and what was it, blue and gold and black and gold? Ah, uh, there was these crazy people who said it was black and gold or blue, blue and black. And blue and, and white, they, right? You know, yeah. blue and white. There are nut jobs. You know, there's nut jobs everywhere, Andy. What are you going to do about it? The, the, that it was blue and gold from the start, and it was always was. That was kind of stupid a little bit, but it also, it's a good reminder that everything around us is is the way we experience it regardless of what's actually happening that everything that we take in is just stimuli and then we interpret it so reality is literally just whatever you experience even if it makes no sense that has nothing to do with bob lazar that's just general we got we got yeah, off no, to- i got I off think- topic there no you went uh i mean i I, I'm looking at you right now, Andy, and you have this like really great pink gel that's lighting your yeah. face. Um, you're for some reason in the bathroom washing your face. Sitting oh, by no, the sink. Actually, you're flushing the toilet. You're flushing the toilet. I just keep that flushing the toilet. That would be your toilet. intro to your film yeah. would be like splashing toilet water mes- in my face. Messages. Yeah. Me texting you, Andy, help. They're raiding the bunker. They're raiding the bunker. Marauders from the north. I don't know why marauders from the north are raiding the bunker, but they are. Me getting a hammer and smashing my phone. No, you taking a shit on the toilet. Oh, yeah. I'd have to. <laughs> and I'd typing have, WTF in capital letters, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation I'd point. have to get out of my Sonic the Hedgehog game to reply, so I would probably just ignore it. <laughs> Is that what you're playing nowadays, Sonic the Hedgehogs? Yeah, it's kind of fun. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. The 90 minutes I watched the Corbell film are 90 minutes I'll never get back in order to play Total War Warhammer 2. <laughs> what a shame. Uh, have you, uh, have you, you've started playing it? Oh, yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just finished up my Vampire Counts campaign yesterday. Oh, oh were you playing two <laughs> the whole time? I no, thought you were I ended one. up getting two because it was on sale and I got Mortal Engines or Mortal Empire, whatever the fuck it's called, where you can play as every faction from both one and two and all the DLC in one giant map. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, that's a good game. Anyway, 
Um, I don't know. I I think we. I, and again, I don't want to sound like we're shitting all over people. If you believe Bob, if you like Jeremy's film, that's your opinion. You know, we're here. Uh, we're as everything that we criticize, we're as uh, guilty of in some ways too, right? I mean, that's the Not basis sure. of. You know, we've made stuff that people don't like. A lot of there's Lots plenty of people of who don't like this show. <laughs> yeah, just check, yeah, and check out our reviews. Who do. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, some people think that it's well, a cheesy, stupid gimmick, uh, a weird gimmick, you know. Yeah. But um, but it's not. I mean, it's real life. We are being abducted by Mister Bunker, so I don't know why people. <laughs> think I don't know why gimmick. people think it's a gimmick. I mean, it's like. But again, leave Bob alone. Don't attack Bob. Don't camp out on Bob's lawn. Um, don't harass him. Yeah. Leave him alone. Even if Bob uh, wants to be a celebrity and make appearances and get paid for stuff. Let him do those things and respect the boundaries of those, whatever they are. But like, don't go yeah. to his house and stuff. I like, That's I mean, fucking when he, creepy, yeah. unless Bob invites you to his house, unless Bob is like, Hey, my wife and I were looking to get freaky, like back in the honeysuckle days. No, no. Even if Bob to, invites you, do not you know, go to his house. Yeah, I'm I <laughs> commanding you, bunk funkers. No matter what Bob Lazar says, do not go to his house. If it is Bob a trick. Lazar shows up in a white van with a jet engine on the back that has spray painted free candy on the side, he's don't gonna, get in. He's going to seduce you and bring you into his prostitution ring, and you're going to be you, turning tricks in no time. And you you got to think down, about it. Is this a life you want? If you are walking down a dark alley at night by yourself and Bob Lazar comes up to you on a gen engine razor scooter and he says, hey, kids, do you want to see some fucking aliens? Don't follow him. <laughs> you want to see a dead alien body? <laughs> Bob, Bob has a windowless van with a jet engine on it. <laughs> you know, listen. Don't do it, okay? Don't. <laughs> Don't stranger, make the same mistakes we did. Stranger danger. Because <laughs> it is not an anatomically correct, uh, anatom- like, you know, detailing of an alien. It is It is Bob's pants. It is his penis. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He just, his, his penis is an exact anatomical replica of a gray alien. Man, we got to find the horse jockey that they used to fly that alien craft around. Three feet of room. I know. You got to get a horse jockey in there. And he's like, boy, I don't know how they flew it. It's like <laughs> some guy maybe just laying down, I guess. <laughs> it's like, yeah, probably just some guy laying in there. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, we could talk about element 115. Um, oh, yeah, we could. Which, you know, is very convincing kind of when you hear about it. Um, they keep talking about Element 115. And the fact that Element 115 is real makes it even more confusing. You know, I think uh, the thing... Yeah. Oh, go, were you going to say something? No, no, no. Okay, I, I'm just going to say, like, I think the way that it got portrayed in the film, the way it gets portrayed... Like, this is Jeremy Corbell's angle on it is like, Bob said it existed. And then it didn't, nobody thought it could exist. And now it does exist. So Bob's right about everything. He's telling the truth about everything. And it's like, well, that's not factually 
true. Like they, like chemists were talking about heavier elements that we didn't have, we weren't able to synthesize well before we were able to synthesize them. And it's well, like a ton of them. And they, you know that they're real cause they have goofy fucking names. Like there's Frankensteinium or some shit. Like, isn't that, <laughs> there's, there's Americonium. Like they have like Ben and Jerry's names. There's um, like cherry Garcium, fucking chunky monkey. Um, so <laughs> double fudge baked double what is it fucking half baked yeah half baked fish fudge foodium. brownie um yeah fish foodium there's so many elements um so the, got all these weird names the the uh you know the, there are there are really two two places in the world where there's enough resources devoted to this extremely time consuming and expensive process of smashing atoms of one element into atoms of another element in order to create new elements uh and it's the united states and russia and oh we love it yeah it's just a it's another cold war um but the the uh the thing about it is that i was reading is that when a new element um gets found it's like there's this whole process that it has to go through before it gets on the periodic table and before it gets named there's like this whole review process like your your like when they first synthesized muscovium another team of scientists had to also synthesize it before it could get on the periodic table and get a name and it's like there's like americium and all this other stuff apparently russia and the united states are just like trading off names like sometimes they try to pick pick a name like there's a I think element there's, 116 is Livermorium uh, because yep, it was... There's a 106 is Seaborgium. Yeah. That's yeah. a great one. There's a... Uh, I can't... I mean, I'm not the one to fucking pronounce this shit. <laughs> I got others. You know that. Uh, but compare we, that with like phosphorus or radon or polonium. Like, you know what? Tennessine, agonezon, yeah. like they just don't hold up. I'm sorry. Uh, let's see. Chromium? That's a badass name. Uh, let's see. There's Hassium? Uh, That's not cool. There's Xenon. Dope. <laughs> Xenon's dope. Great gas. Rutherf- noble gas. Rutherfordium. Right? Is, are those the noble gases? Uh, yep. I don't, those are the noble gases, non-metals. I'm going to be honest. I don't know. Dude, I haven't looked think. at a periodic table since I was 16 years old. Copernicum. And I haven't masturbated to one since I was 17. <laughs> Alkali metals, like that's just badass. That's like alkali metals is such a cool hydrogen. Oh, hydrogen, so useful. It's in everything. But yeah, I, I mean, I get what you're saying. Like how like the fact that one fifteen just oh. kind of comes out of nowhere. Uh, element number one hundred are fermium. Oh yeah, I got a little element one hundred in my pants. You know what I'm saying? I yeah, I get it. You're That's hot and horny. Yeah. Einsteinium. Yeah. Berkelium. Curium. Um, but yeah, it's like, you know, element 115, it's like we had been already synthesizing stuff before that. It's just, it was a matter of time before we got to 115. Yeah. I mean, we're at like, what are we at? We're at like 118 right now. Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing is like, all they, all they keep doing is like bombarding other elements with other elements and then it eventually they get to this thing where they get a stable enough 
um, thing that they can measure it and they can see that they've added enough protons and they'll get to 119, they'll get to 120. They'll just keep oh doing God. this. I mean, but natural, naturally occurring elements stop at uranium. That's the heaviest element that we know that occurs in nature. Right. Uh, so so everything... make bombs... Yeah, and everything above it is is synthesized. It's man-made. So it's like Bob's claim that, you know, this was like a naturally occurring in a stable state in the Zeta Reticuli system. It just doesn't match up with what we know about the natural world. There's obviously always the argument that, hey, uh, this could just be that, uh, you know, we haven't, we don't know enough about nature yet uh, to know why this would happen in a different uh, star system uh, or why a binary star would make more of this uh, Muscovium than what we have on Earth um, even though astronomers pretty much dismiss that out of hand but that's that's usually the defense of stuff like this with Bob is that he's so far advanced in thinking the stuff that he says doesn't make sense because it's not supposed to make sense to us we don't know enough yet right. for it to make sense Well, Andy, I think uh, for starters, we owe up just a general apology to Bob Lazar, the UFO community, and Jeremy Corbell, just off the bat. Um, yeah, well, every honestly, every episode, we should probably apologize to the subjects of the episode for what George we've done Knapp. to them. Yeah. And the listeners. We apologize to the listeners for existing. <laughs> you know, thank you for listening, but uh, sorry that it's us. We are who we are. We can't help that. We can't help it. It's who we are. We're gonna talk about. I mean, we're gonna talk about. We're gonna. We're gonna talk about it. Um, we gotta. I think it's time. I think it's time to get to our uh, verdicts here, Andy. Unless there's anything, any other points you want to bring up. Um. You know, I think it's time. I just want to set the record straight and say that these are the noble gases: helium, neon, argon, krypton, xenon, and radon. And your farts. And they're, they're not noble. <laughs> they're they common. They are very, yeah, low-born. Low yeah, low-born, very low-born. Very deep within my colon-born. If they're lucky, maybe they could join the priesthood or the knight class, but never will be nobility. <laughs> no, never will be able to sit the throne. They don't make it that far. Uh, no. Uh, maybe they'll join the merchant class one day, so... Mm, um, I can hope... I can dream of the day my butthole enters the merchant class. <laughs> All right, Andy, let's see what you have to say about this. Wow. You know, I really have been, I really had thought about it a lot, uh, to be yeah. honest, what I was going to say for my verdict. Um, and I don't know, how should we, how should we do a verdict on this? Is it just like one, do you find Bob Lazar uh, to be plausible? Like just rate his whole story? Yeah. That yeah. his story, how plausible is his story? Because that's what we're talking about, yeah. is his story. Yeah, his whole story. Um, so, I don't know. Um, let me see. Where am I going to go on the scale with this one is the real question. Um, like, for Bob, I'm not super convinced about anything, to be honest. Uh, I think for all the reasons that we talked about in the research 
And uh, in the discussion, I've got a lot of doubts, frankly, about um, Bob's story. Uh, I don't doubt at all that Bob is like a smart guy and that he's got some some kind of background in like mechanical stuff and he knows a little bit about chemistry at least. But to me, he doesn't seem like a person who's got like a real good grasp on like astronomy or physics, um, to be honest. Like, I guess I kind of feel like maybe he did work at some facility at Groom Lake. Like I'm kind of leaning on the Tom Mahood thing. Um, but it's a little bit blown up for me. It's like excessively aggrandized. So I think, I think on the plausibility, cause I got to take it all together here. I got to give it like, uh, I think I'm going to make a, a new one. Uh, just, wow. I'm going to make a new one, a new rating. Uh, Justin, I hope you're listening. Um, to the bunker scale. And this is a just, this is for Bob Lazar. Uh, we could call this the Bob Lazar, uh, rating if we want. Um, but I'm going to give it a plausibility of, uh, I'm going to give it plausible, plausible anti-proton. <laughs> so this is, this is between plausible molecule and plausible quark. <laughs> Wait, but it's, yeah. Yeah, because it goes plausible smidge, plausible molecule, plausible quark, case closed. Right, so <laughs> I'm I'm plausible anti-proton. Wow. Okay. Because a proton would be on the plus side, and then an anti-proton is on the negative side. So Hey, that checks out. Yeah, that's that's science, baby. And, you know, like I said, I feel that way just because I don't think that Bob Lazar actually worked on alien craft at S4. I'm not even sure that S4 exists. Um, and, you know, we talk about his character and stuff a lot. I think that he's just got an elaborate story that he's been maintaining for 30 years. And, you know, I don't know what the motives are or anything like that. Um, but do I think that at the end of the day that he actually worked on extraterrestrial crafts? I don't. Okay. The Bob Lazar special, plausible anti-proton. There you go, plausible anti-proton. Um, I I will uh, I'm gonna do the same. I like that. That was funny because wow. I had plausible molecule written Ooh. for mine. So, but I like yours, and they're basically, you know, it's so minute the <laughs> variance sh- between them. Sh- shaving the tiniest bits of plausibility here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen. We're talking about science here, and the bunker scale is the most scientific scale I think ever created. I mean, I don't know. Maybe is that a stretch to say? No, I I heard at one you point st- that that <laughs> governments around the world were adopting this for like uh, all sorts of measurements, uh, including yeah. temperature. So, coming soon to the United States, the bunker scale will be used to measure the temperature. So, you know, <laughs> tomorrow it's supposed to be plausible plus plus. So wear a jacket. Yeah. <laughs> but a light one. Don't dress too warm. Yeah. <laughs> then I love, the bunker scale is like right smack and dab in the middle is plausible. And then huge 
st- football field of land. Uh, fucking plausible plus. A big giant chunk of land. Plausible plus plus. Then just a fucking massive like acres, acres, acres of land. Finally, you get to very plausible, and then <laughs> literally two feet away, highly plausible. Highly plausible. <laughs> and then mere inches from highly plausible. Case closed. Yeah, maybe case confirmed. It's case closed to the positive. And then the yeah. negative is the same way. There's this huge gulf to plausible minus, another big jog to plausible minus minus, a huge gap. <laughs> and then now we have four different things clustered at the very end before case closed. Just because we don't, that is, just, that is an attest to the fact that you and I can never ever, unless we are 100% certain, we will never fucking... <laughs> Say with 100% certainty anything. <laughs> I literally said I don't believe Bob Lazar, but I gave it a little bit of plausibility. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm giving it plausibility because some of the stuff might be true. I'm taking it on the whole. That's right. And I agree with you. I, I, I really like the Tomahood story. I do think that Bob Lazar had some kind of government, high government clearance job with the military or otherwise working on something that was probably some cockamamie 1980s (laughs) fucking laser beam system, star Wars, you know, like I do think that. And I think that is why his story is so publicized because he has that credibility that they can pivot towards the alien craft, even though there's holes all over the place that they write off by saying the government has completely erased him, even though I've never heard anything about MIT classmates. I've never heard anything about, uh, like, has anyone ever talked to his parents about going to MIT? Can we get bank statements showing that he paid for classes at MIT or Caltech or all any of these places, right? Like, Stuff that, especially back when he went, which would have been in the mid to early 80s, there was an online, tra- there was a paper trail. So you're telling me that the government went back and erased that paper trail? The government went back and <laughs> yeah. killed off his fucking classmates? Like Now, in to, to one of those points, though, Bob's family and friends, like, say that he did go to MIT, he did go to Caltech, like, I don't think that they've ever seen any proof or went to any graduations or anything, but where's that's what his they, degree? Yeah, that's a great question. And and you bring it up another good point. And this is one of the things that Stanton Friedman found so hard to believe is that somebody went back and somehow physically changed all these paper files they had at MIT about Bob Lazar to completely scrub him from the records. Uh, how would they even know to do that or where to look for that stuff? I mean, I I can believe that. You go to the registrar's office at any college and um, I don't know. But yeah, I get what you're saying. It's a Mm. lot of work, but that I can see. Because if you do try to get a job at uh, a high-level government facility, you better believe that the FBI will go to your college and find your records. And colleges, yeah, they give them. They give them right away. Here you go. Yeah, the records. Um, and, and you know, I mean, it is one of those things. Truly, the classmates thing though. There's not a single person that he could be like, 
Well, go talk to my classmate. Uh, I think that Craig. He, I think that he says this in um, the Jeremy Corbell film that he has classmates that he still keeps in contact with from his time at MIT, but that he won't name their names and they don't want to come forward because they don't want to be subject to the harassment that he suffered uh, at the hands of the government. Mm. And yeah, that's exactly that's the right sound. It's a little convenient. Well, and you know. George Knapp says that he found people who could attest that they dropped Bob off to go to school at Caltech, but nobody, nobody's like, oh yeah, I saw him in class. They're not classmates. They were just friends of his that dropped him off on campus and then drive away in their cars. Like they didn't go to class with him or go to a graduation or anything like that. Commencement, whatever you want to call it. There's just, there's literally no evidence uh, of that. There's no photos he could show. Here I am. Yeah. Here they, I am in class not at in MIT any, with my friends. Yeah, not in any of the Blur out their faces. Yearbooks. Yeah, not in any of the yearbooks or anything like that. Yeah. I, no no yearbook, no, uh, I mean, obviously a master's degree, you wouldn't get a yearbook, but still, uh, no memorabilia, no... You go get a master's degree at a university like MIT, you better fucking believe there's a you keep some kind of memento, right? Well, one of the things that uh, Friedman says is like at that uh, 1993 uh, UFO um, convention, the ultimate UFO in, in Rachel, Nevada, uh, somebody somebody asked Bob, and there's an interesting transcript. I think it's on uh, Tom Hood's uh, site, which is, is linked in the show notes. Um, you know, somebody asks Bob directly, like, what years, what year did he get his, his degree from MIT? And he goes, oh, you know, he always says like, oh, I'm so bad with dates. And he's like, oh, what was that year? Let me see. That was probably 1982. And Stanton Friedman's like, you're telling me that somebody who got a degree, a master's from MIT doesn't know the year that that happened? Like, give yeah. me a break. They would know that. Hey, uh, hey trust me. You pay for a friggin' master's degree and, uh, yeah, you know what? You're going to remember that through all the student loans you're paying. Am I right? <laughs> well, Bob doesn't repay his loans, so it doesn't matter to him. <laughs> that's right <laughs> um but the uh you know what's funny too about that that transcript from uh rachel is that uh the guy the guy asks bob uh something about going to pierce junior college and he goes he's like did you go to pierce junior college uh, it's something like i'm paraphrasing and bob says yeah i did how'd you find that out like that's a weird that's a weird thing to say immediately after like when I'm sure that Bob knows at this point in 1993 that this guy is going to ask him about MIT and Caltech and this guy brings up oh yeah you also I heard you went to a junior college in California how'd you find that out (laughs) yeah that's when you know you got him like that's that's a that's a to me that's a shady answer very telling yeah exactly that being said Bob's body language is really like I mean, it's very, you know, he looks you right in the eye and he says his story. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's, he sticks I mean, to it. So that's uh, what I'm saying. He comes off as genuine to me. Like, you know, these, I mean, I'm no body language expert or anything, uh, unless it's fart noises made under the armpit. Um, <laughs> but he seems like the, some of those telltale signs of deception, like it doesn't seem like he exhibits them all the time, you know? Like, I don't feel like he's just lying straight to my face. 
Well, speaking of lying straight to our faces, uh, that was our verdicts, uh, Bunk Funkers. Let us know what you think. Reach out to us with the hashtag. Ooh, shooting my laser. Yeah, I love it. Shooting my laser. Hashtag shooting my laser. Uh, or also, let's give them two hashtags because I just thought of this one. I think it's a good one. Yep. Uh, hashtag Bobby, you're a firework. <laughs> I think Bob would like that one. I think Bob Lazar would enjoy that. He wouldn't enjoy the rest of this show, but he would definitely enjoy that Nope, part. nope. He might enjoy Especially it. the parts where we talked about his penis. Um, <laughs> Who knows? Maybe he does enjoy that. Well, maybe he does. You know, he might. He's a Chad. He fucking, he likes to troll and get down. He likes to have a good time. Right, right. Anybody um, wants a stranger to talk about their penis. Let us know, Bunk Funkers, what you think. Reach out to us if you have a topic you want us to cover or if you just want to send us a nice message. Man, we have been getting some great messages <laughs> yeah. lately, and they are so wonderful to read, and we really appreciate it. Um, and if you want to send us that- a mean message, you can fuck off, okay? <laughs> you can get in your friggin' jet-fueled Honda, and you can zip right out of here, Buster Brown. <laughs> Um, but no, we, we do hope that all of you are doing well, staying healthy and safe out there and, um, reach out to us, uh, email us, mrbunkerpod at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter and Instagram with the handles at mrbunkerpod. Follow us on Twitch at mrbunkerpod and look us up on YouTube. If you want to see the hilarious, uh, Christmas album that bunker, (laughs) That we excavated, we we found in the bunker vaults, and yeah. we brought to light uh, with the help of our friend Justin Link. Yeah, um, look us up on YouTube by searching "Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast." Um, Andy, yeah, Art. Any last words before, before I, I strap you to this friggin' homemade firework and I blast you off at Project or uh, Desert Blast? <laughs> Desert Blast. Um. No, I echo your sentiments, uh, bunk funkers. I hope you're all safe and healthy and continue to be. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Well, beautifully said. You'll hear us next time. Uh, well, uh, for not the titular Mr. Bunker, because <laughs> he hasn't been around, but for my Swadizan. Oh, wow co-host Andy Hart damn I'm Art Stone saying that was the whole enchilada oh I can't think of one History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. 
Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Thank you.